The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week, the crew chats with activist and organizer Amardeep Dillon about the current state of resistance in the United Kingdom and where things could be headed. Plus, we're missing more Antarctic ice than ever before, the devastation in Libya from Storm Daniel is NATO's fault, and California's legislature passes unemployment benefits for striking workers. But first, a startling revelation is captured in real time. So I said, um... He's a British celebrity, a TV host, no, no less. What, like, what are the, the conceivable odds he could also be a nonce? That's not... Yeah. Uh, and I've just... Uh, no, I'm actually seeing some tweets right... Oh, okay. Never mind. Um, well, maybe you know, we should do Red... Let's do Red Planet, actually. This is, this is not panning out for me. Well, I do, uh, I do, I Red... do, I do, I do want to just say that, you know, I never thought that someone who wrote a book called My Bookie Wook would be a nonce like yeah. that's just impossible for me to even think about like how could that possibly have occurred that doesn't um, at all give incredible nonce vibes um <laughs> it's red planet we're here to talk about communism and apparently russell brand but that one's going to be later in the news so why don't instead i say kira what's the most base thing you did this week thanks for asking uh sophie um it's great to have you back here on Red Planet, by the way. Thanks. It's uh, good to be back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, nothing I can really think of off the top of my head because I've been going through a depression. So I have major depressive disorder, which means you just have depression forever. It's forever. You just have it. And it just peaks at times. And then it goes away a little bit, but not quite ever. And then it peaks, you know, whatever. So right now I'm going through uh, one of those depressions. And you know what? My base thing is I'm still around. I got the depression. I'm experiencing really shitty symptoms, but I'm still around. I'm still putting on like Twitch shows, which by the way is not easy, but I'm doing it. I'm brushing my teeth. Can I say that something that needs to be discussed way more with regards to depression is how much you tend to neglect your teeth. And a lot of people have a lot of shame with regards to like how their teeth end up becoming, you know, like enamel wearing off, cavities, what have you, because of depression. Um, so just one, I just want to make that point for real. that little education. Real, real and worthwhile, yeah. Yeah, but also I've been like forcing myself, I'm like, just drag a toothbrush over your teeth, just sit there, and it's electric, and I'm just like, whatever. So I've been doing that. <laughs> so yeah, that's the base thing I've been doing, just existing. So yeah. Um, Mule. What, what about you? What's the most basic thing you did I this think week? that's pretty based. I'm I glad think, Kira's here. I'm glad you're here, and I think that's more than enough based. <laughs> uh, my based thing, the most based thing that I did this week was I told my gran what transgender people are. Um, and Does she was, like us? She's well up for it. And I actually told her about... Yeah, she is. <laughs> uh, and I actually told her about TERFs as well, and she was not down for that. Um, okay, so, nice. Yeah, it was pretty good, you know. The transgenders down for the turfs. We're not wait, wait, the that's the bad. 
She knows. She, yeah, that's kind of what she was doing, actually. That's kind of how she was asking me. She was like, so, you know, and she was she was like asking me all sorts of things. And she was going, so born a, a boy. And I was like, yes. Uh, but then became a woman. And I was like, yes. I was like, oh, and she just gets it. She's just like, great. Fine. Fine with nice. that. Um, I also made her watch 1984, which was, um, (laughs) she's 86, by the way. Um, she doesn't really know what's going on a lot of the time. No, she does. She's very lucid. Having Uh, having come over to your house and you putting, you've put on various media, um, the image of you, uh, like insisting that an old, a tiny old woman watches 1984 is like, (laughs) it's just eminently picturable. I can just really see it. Like, I... (laughs) <laughs> it's really it's really bad because <laughs> because if you know if you actually know the story of 1984 which i do actually it, 1984 is actually one of my favorite books um and if you know the story of 1984 you'll know that winston smith main character he has a fear of rats and it's because he saw his mum get eaten by rats when she was dying because uh, this that and the other and, and a horrible thing happens to him at the end of 1984 involving rats and i'd forgotten all of this including the knowledge that my gran is fucking shit scared of rats. So we're watching this film and the rats are coming on the screen and she's going, Ooh! and uh, yeah, so we had to, I had to pause it at bits when I knew there were rats. And then it got to the end of the film and I said, gran, I'm just going to let you know that there is a really horrible bit coming up with rats. Shall I tell you about it? And she goes, no. And so I said, do you want to continue watching the film? And she said, no, he just dies, doesn't he? And I said, yes. And so we stopped watching the film at that point. But that was the most base thing that we did. <laughs> um, there you go. So, yeah, there we go. Uh, but yeah, it was, so that was, that's been it, basically. It's been really interesting just sort of like talking to my gran about like various stuff. She's like asking about Red Planet. Um, and it's really funny because I've told her that like, you know. Oh, Maybe we another in- sicko on the way. We have, maybe we will see. <laughs> My gran would definitely probably give us money to do what we do. Uh, but like she she said, I mean, technically she already does. She gave me 30 pounds to go to the shops the other day. Uh, so that counts, doesn't it? That is supporting um, Red Planet. She's supporting, shops. she's to shops. Helping um, you will be full of biscuits is actually I, supporting I Red was Planet. fucking shit full of biscuits. That's not even a, that's not even a saying. Um, but anyway, um yeah, you know, telling about Red Planet, I was saying, you know, we have international hosts. We've got Tim, uh, who's in New Zealand, and we've got Kira, who's in America. And she, and she said to me tonight, and she was, she goes, so you're going to do this show? I said, yeah. Where are you going to do that? And she, I said, I'm going to my house. She said, oh, they all come to your house today. And- <laughs> I said, Grant, you have no idea how much I would love it if every week all the Red Planet hosts got together in one place. And even she understands transgender. Even she, like, gets it. She gets it. She doesn't understand what the internet is, and she's just like... (laughs) That's what I mean. She's so she's so good. That's she's amazing. so good. Oh god. So there you go. Uh that's the most base thing that I've done this week. I mean, just spending time with you, not like being real. Obviously, this is all very funny. I've like forced my gran to watch this, like, you know, <laughs> anarchist communist propaganda and all that. But, you know, the the on top of that, like actually just like being there 
for your elderly relatives, I think oh, yeah. is like a very important thing. Because the thing is, is that she's at my mum's this week because my mum is on holiday. That's vacation for the Americans. And <laughs> um... <laughs> and what's the nonce? Just be clear. Oh, and just to be clear for the listeners oh, no, we'll, at home. We're doing the news in a minute. We'll get there. We'll get, yeah, we will. We will get there. Nonce is pedo for the, or pedo. <laughs> uh for the for the american oh listener. that's what it means i thought it was just like a like a goofy goof like a silly it is like a goof. silly can, silly you billy could, you could call someone a nonce without them actually having credible pedophile allegations against them for sure and it is very funny especially if you call it like a tory or something do you know what i mean um so you but we just, truly are an international show we are an international you might listen slightly americans are learning a completely mm-hmm. new language isn't it um so Anyway, where was that? Oh yeah, so you know she's yeah, so she's she's at my mum's while my mum is on holiday with my stepdad, and she's looking after uh, my mum's dogs. And of course, she's an eighty-six-year-old woman; she's not going to be able to do everything. And in fact, one of the nicest things I spoke about this in Sophie's uh, Discord the other day. Um, she was wanting to use a walker that my mum's got her because she's getting very frail now as she gets on, and she never felt good or comfortable to use it before because she's been on her own and her husband is quite old as well my granddad he's not too good at helping her with stuff like that and she felt very happy and able to use it because i was with her while we were walking around the park and you know she and she was like oh that was amazing I've i've not walked that long in ages and so that felt really good to do and i think that a lot of the time we we do get encouraged to just leave elderly relatives you know under capitalism you know just let them rot basically um and i think that's violent i think like the more and more time that you can spend with your elderly relatives if you're very lucky um to have nice elderly relatives i know some people don't um then you should because they they remember a lot of stuff surprisingly a lot of people think that old people don't remember stuff but they do uh stop laughing kira for those of you listening at home you can't see this look kira is wetting herself the idea that elderly people can remember stuff so that's that isn't it um (laughs) she's she's laughing even harder now at me explaining it like that um so anyway it's very very good and based to look after your elderly relatives even if they're not your relatives just go and look after them radicalize your mum radicalize your nan make them watch 1984 sophie what's the most base thing you've done this week well, I don't. I don't remember. I must be getting old. That's it. Um, That's what it is. No, I. I. I completely. I really want to co-sign what you're saying about like, about like caring for older people, um, and also just like I think that like I think it's been really normal for hundreds of thousands of years of human existence for people to be around people of all ages, and then suddenly like now we we're like only ever around people our own age, for like most of our lives and it's fucking bizarre and um and uh yeah taking care of your 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 elderly relatives is fantastic i have had a bit of a, an odd week of um i don't know not exactly seeing myself as particularly old in in the trans community because i am not i've only been out for like three years but like i am 27 and i was hanging out with someone uh the other day and she was pointing out to me like how the mean age you know in a few trans spaces is more like 25 ish and like i was like oh shit yeah i'm kind of you know on the on the older <laughs> side of some friendship groups and stuff and we were chatting about like um 
older trans women get like getting to get together and how we'd probably have a lot more kind of productive discussions <laughs> than a lot of the like uh younger folks who get very passionate but don't necessarily have kind of experience to like haven't necessarily figured some stuff out um and stuff like that so i was reflecting on that kind of stuff and um also um and this does tie together. Um, I feel like I'm being really old now. I I feel like Mule's story has infected me with the old, and I'm giving like a really Grandpa Simpson vibe of a of a story. It but, is an um, issue. It's true. <laughs> I've caught old from Mule's nan. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I've been I've been mentioning I've been involved with it with an eviction resistance um, for some friends uh, for a long time. And uh, I actually uh, did a little uh, magic ritual. Uh, did I already talk about this? I think I, already, I... not on Red Planet. I don't think. Um, uh, after the, there was an eviction resistance, um, just basically like standing up to the landlord a bit, and then after that had happened, we um, <laughs> we did a magic ritual to put a curse on him. Um, <laughs> that is super cool and i i can't get behind this enough tell us more <laughs> well it's um it's um nat's been reading caliban and the witch which is all about how how much spirituality and magic was taken away from um the indigenous cultures of europe in the process of a sort of internal colonization like the the aristocracy got together and they essentially colonized the peasants like they were like no you're going to have our culture you're going to be christians you're going to you're going to work to these hours and you're going to right and a big part of this was like genocidal violence against women that we that we that we know casually as the witch hunts um and yeah like a huge part of it was to do with like destroying um somewhat more maternal and matriarchal societies and cultures and communities than we than we're used to thinking about now um and it's really horrible and as i say in the world is not ending the idea of women being relatively more free than they are now and then becoming less free is so horrible that people just generally don't like to even think about it uh but it did happen and um in that context i think that like thinking about magic is really important and then one of my favorite games a bewitching revolution which we've played on red planet uh is based on a lot of this these concepts and it's why i've got my given myself a tattoo that says witch of the city and so I was just trying to do a little bit of actual practicing uh, of the witch of the city kind of thing. So we did an eviction resistance and then I wanted to get everyone to uh, let go of their, uh, there's this, there's this concept, there's this Nietzschean concept um, called ressentiment, um, which is not just French for resentment, although it also is. Um, and basically it's like, if you feel oppressed by somebody else as part of a system you might know there's a system, but because you can't overcome the oppression that they are giving to you, you put these, you project a power. They don't actually have this power, but because you can't overcome them, they seem more powerful than you. And so you hold these ressentiments, which are ultimately your own resentment that's holding you down and, and making them appear more powerful than you to, to you. And, um, and that's why we did a little curse. <laughs> basically uh because if if uh we all believe in the curse then horrible bad things are going to happen to landlords and uh we don't need to feel resent we don't need to feel any resentment and we don't need to feel like the landlord is powerful because he's it's not true. he's just a little crybaby who is like where's where's all my rent for doing nothing 
Where's my yeah. thousands and thousands of pounds for doing nothing? That's a little, but that's a little baby boy. Uh, that's baby pathetic. Boy. That's yeah. you know. So, yeah, that's what I did, and that was my most based thing this week. We will talk about some news in a second, uh, but first, I just want to quickly say we want to know what based things you've been doing. You can message us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, or send an email to based at redplanet. Sorry, redplanet show. Com. Again, that's based at redplanetshow.com. Include your name and pronouns if you'd like to, and we may shout it out in a later episode. So, who's going to tell me about Libya? It's me. Uh, Libya has been in ruins from Storm Daniel. We're blaming NATO. Uh, more than 11,000 people are currently confirmed dead and up to 100,000 missing from the recent devastating cyclone Storm Daniel. So this has been uh, all over the news. It's been on the, the mainstream media news. They're, they're still not talking about it as much as they should, um, but it's uh, an example of one of the... You know, many, many things that are going to come as a result of uh, capitalism. In fact, this is actually a perfect example of something that's come from uh, poor, terrible infrastructure under capitalism um, and also climate change. Uh, so last year, uh, Abdul Vani's Ashur wrote articles warning that Derna's dams were in poor condition and that a major flood would be, quote, likely to cause one of the two dams to collapse. Ashur continued, if a huge flood happens, the result will be catastrophic for the people of the Wadi and the city. No repairs have been done, however, because of the civil war that's raged between rival governments in eastern and western Libya since NATO destroyed Colonel Muammar Gaddafi's regime in the 2011 war. Since the fall of the Gaddafi regime, uh, the rivaling Libyan governments east and west have been battling and uh, have completely neglected the infrastructure of the country. As a result, these dams burst from Storm Daniel, flooding Libya and killing thousands. The country has been so overwhelmed from this catastrophe and the lack of other infrastructure that mass graves are being dug and bodies are being laid out on the street while more and more keep washing up to the shore. Some sources are blaming Libyan corruption or Libyan infrastructure neglect without mention of the NATO inter intervention. It's important to remember that these types of statements when made uh, of imperial periphery countries should be approached with massive scrutiny. Uh, yeah, it, and I think as well that like it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you can say like, oh, in infrastructure repair, oh, it happened because it's a really bad country and they don't care for their own country and stuff like that. Well, no, it's 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 a multitude of factors, yeah. uh, you know, not least of which is is the uh, the the unseating of of Gaddafi and and the lack of um, you know uh, just just any kind of compassion for the country of Libya. Yeah. I mean, um, this is like we, we we talked about Haiti a few times, and it's like yeah. w where they're pointing to like gangs run the country. Everyone's scared of the gangs. It's like you're really looking at like some degree of like local organizing, and some of those people are literally gangsters, and some of those gangsters are actually scary to people. But like, if uh, the country were treated uh, with any kind of like respect to the people of the country and their ability to self determine and self organize, then like maybe even some of those same gangsters would be in charge but like they wouldn't be the the pro like the 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 material real problems would be less and the like bizarre exaggerations and propaganda wouldn't be we wouldn't be set, like bothering yep 
Completely agree. Uh, but next up, Sophie, you're going to be telling us about the Antarctic. That is correct. Uh, Antarctic sea, sea ugh, I'm just going to start that one again. Antarctic sea ice at lowest ever recorded winter levels. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a climate change update. It's that it's that same story you've heard over and over again. It's like when the Onion publishes their template for minority in video game. Uh, it's uh, mm-hmm. check it out. Summers are hot and 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 uh, w- well, w- winters are hot too. Yay! Um, there's less ice in the Antarctic than there used to be. Uh, the sea ice surrounding Antarctica is well below any previous recorded winter level. Satellite data shows a worrying new benchmark for a region that once seemed resistant to global warming. The ice that floats on the Antarctic uh, Ocean's surface now measures less than 17 million square kilometers. That is 1.5 million square kilometers of ice of sea ice less than the September average and well below previous winter record lows. Without its ice cooling, the planet Antarctica could transform from Earth's refrigerator to a radiator, experts say. Sea ice acts as a protective sleeve for the ice covering the land and prevents the ocean from heating up. As more sea ice disappears, it exposes dark areas of ocean which absorb sunlight instead of reflecting it, meaning that the heat energy is added to the water, which in turn melts melts more ice. Scientists call this the ice albedo effect, there are signs that what is already happening to Antarctica's ice sheets is in the worst-case scenario range of what was predicted, says Professor Anna Hogg, an Earth scientist at the University of Leeds. Even modest increases in sea levels can result in dangerously high storm surges that could wipe out coastal communities. If significant amounts of land ice were to start melting, the impacts would be catastrophic for millions of people around the world. Uh, let's just move on. Kira, tell us about Unity. Sure. So Unity uh, Technologies, it's a company headquartered in San Francisco. It is best known for its game engine, its cross-platform game engine called Unity. Um, For over a decade, Unity has been a go-to tool set for video game production, particularly in the mobile and the indie spaces. Um, Like if you're playing a mobile game, there's a, a good chance that it's probably made with Unity. It's like a really, really, really really popular game engine um also there's also pc and console games made with unity like city skylines is made with unity um i know pokemon go which is a mobile game but that's a really popular one made with unity rimworld um monument valley beat saber there's a ton of games that are made with unity so um on monday unity announced via its official blog that as of the beginning of 2024 it would change the terms by which it licenses its engine the most controversial element of these changes is the introduction of this thing called a runtime fee. It's going to be a new monthly fee called a runtime fee, um, which would be charged each time a qualifying game made with Unity is downloaded by an end user. So the threshold for incurring this runtime fee is going to be determined by the version of Unity that the dev is using. Uh, for instance, users of the free personal package will become eligible for the fee if a single project were to pass $200,000 in revenue in the last year and 200,000 uh, lifetime installations. At their, that point, Unity would charge a developer a flat 20 cents per install. And Unity claims that they can uh, track these installations using their own proprietary software and uh, solutions. It can be some, something that you install along with your game to track if you install the game. <laughs> So if this wasn't bad enough, Unity also snuck into its terms of service that these changes can also be applied retroactively, meaning that if you have already made a game in Unity, now you can be charged this runtime fee 
even if he made the game prior to, you know, when they're making this announcement, when these changes are going to go into effect. So um, there's been a lot of, a ton of outrage by game developers about this, like a ton, as you can imagine. Tyler Sigmund, the co-founder of the game design director at Red Hook Studios, with regards to the retroactive uh, application of the scummy scumbaggery, uh, Tyler says, to change a fee model that applies to existing games is the equivalent of you leasing a car under certain terms, and then the leasing company sends you a letter informing you that you will now be charged money each time you start the car. I think it's a pretty good analogy. Nice. And prior to that, uh, about the the larger issue, Patrick Morgan of uh, the studio's lead at Seattle's Galvanic Game says, because revenue and profit aren't taken into consideration with the per install fee, there's a possibility that for smaller studios, the installation fees cost more than the total revenue of the game. So imagine creating a game, it's really popular and it makes you go into debt because, because of these runtime fees that are implemented by Unity. Um, it should be said that it is pretty unclear as how Unity can accurately track these installations. So they've claimed that certain types of sales, such as charity bundles and installations resulting from piracy would be exempted, but they've offered no clear explanation as to how they would be able to differentiate these or prevent the system from being weaponized uh, against developers who have included controversial content like pronouns or just <laughs> general human decency. Uh, you see a lot of these types of like attempts at coordinated attacks at brands and games and things like that, especially games when anything like, you know, like, like main character is black or something or pronouns are used or, you know, lady doesn't have huge jugs, you know, any of these horrific acts of, 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 you know, depravity occur, God forbid. You see like a lot of times coordinated attacks by fascists to try to like hurt these developers and so it's possible that this could be one of those avenues that they could take um as a result of everything that i've said many developers are rebelling by in different ways they're you know publicly speaking about these oppressive terms on social media um and saying that they'll boycott the company either immediately or in the future there's also campaigns to boycott the Unity Unite conference in Amsterdam. It's coming up in November 15th. Um, I know from my own dealings, I've some developers I know are extremely worried, don't really know what to do. This is a really scary time for a lot of indie devs because, you know, they're an indie developer. They're not part of like a larger kind of like workplace where they can like unionize against their employer. This is like a really shitty a really, really shitty move made by a company whose technology is pretty ubiquitous in the industry. Um, so it's, it's, it's very worrisome. So yeah, that's what's going on at unity. They suck. But speaking of things that don't suck, <laughs> can you tell me what's going on in California? That was a flawless transition. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Uh, thank you. I'm just so glad I could witness that. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm super well read up on this uh, story, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you exactly what's written down uh, because I don't need to learn anything else more about it. Uh, but this is about California legislator granting unemployment to striking workers, uh, which is uh, very 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 interesting and awesome news. So uh, labor unions have already scored several huge wins in California state legislature. 
uh, can I say that properly? Legislator, legislature. Uh, they landed a major deal to raise fast food wages to $20 an hour, convinced lawmakers to pass a bill requiring driverless trucks to have a human safety driver, and persuaded the legislature to send Governor Gavin Newsom a bill giving all workers in California a minimum of five paid sick days. Only three are required. Now on Gavin Newsom's desk is a bill passed by the California Senate that provides unemployment benefits to striking workers. And he has until October 14th to decide which of the hundreds of bills the legislature sent him in the final weeks of the session, which will uh, will become law. Um, so this is actually, he was, I, I was lying before. I'm going to read it a little bit more about this. This is, this is um, really, really huge. Um, and uh, the Los Angeles Times has, has done a piece about this um, that has, you know, sort of like given, given people um, a bit of a, a bit of a shock really and um you know it's 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 really interesting because uh of course it's it's like it proves that union action works it proves that strike action works and it's getting like so much uh uh, 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 uh media time that something like the los angeles times the la times is, is actually covering it because you know if, as far as i know the la times is not good it's one of the not good media journalists uh, companies um and uh sort of like on the same i think it's like the same company owns it owns the washington post or something or, or another um friends so, of the show by the way yeah friends of, friend. the show, friends of the us. show they love us they actually love us um so it's it's uh it's really really interesting um it's you know, saying things is, like oh sorry you know i think no it's no great. no go ahead what i think is great is um because i'm looking at those articles too and i love how much I, I don't know if they're trying to um pop, like like kind of give by bi- or bias the republicans or if they're trying to slam the republicans because they keep quoting the republicans opinions of this and all of the quotes are really funny like <laughs> like like uh republican of bakersfield as uh, senator shannon grove says the fourth branch of government in this capitol building uh she said referring to the labor unions has a bit, little bit too much power this year it's amazing. <laughs> also, like, um, like Assemblymember Bill Asaley, who's a, um, a Republican, also said in the Assembly floor that this was uh, fundamentally unfair to businesses since the state would, in essence, be taking the side of striking union members during a labor dispute, saying, by doing this, we're giving one side an advantage. You're subsidizing with tax dollars the labor side. <laughs> And so somebody funny. in the chat, um, I believe the witches in the chat was saying that this is basically like the state funding a strike fund, which is yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> pretty based. Pretty, pretty based. awesome. Yeah. And it's 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 funny because the, uh, I, I hate the fact that you always get like, it's funny that we were talking before you were saying, mentioning people who get mad at like people who put pronouns in video games. That one particular individual actually mentioned um california as like the woke state um so like it's kind of like relating to, to to this a little bit it's like oh california is just getting like woker and woker and it, and it's just like well here's the thing though it's really not it's like this is just like very basic basic stuff um you know we we again should not be like congratulating democratic uh, 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 councillors, senators, whatever, in in whatever state for like doing the, the very very bare minimum to protect workers. It's still good news. Don't get me wrong, but again, it's like 
a victory in an ongoing war, right? It's like a victory, one battle that we've won, and maybe we may not even um, actually get this because the, the the governor has to actually sign it, right? The governor has to actually like approve it. So depending yeah, on what kind of on that, so yeah, we'll so. See. So what kind? So I mean, it, it sounds like it's talking about this in the in the LA Times. It's saying so far, Newsom's administration has argued that requiring human drivers in robotic trucks would hamper innovation and competitiveness. And and he's been cautiously taking sides in the Hollywood strikes. Um, and he's repeatedly said he won't sign bills that impose costs for the state. Uh, so it, it's like you know he is not like the big cool guy who's being based and like oh it's really good if we just no he's a Democrat. You know, He's a Democrat. He's a Democrat. It's like, you know, you're not you're not going to get any kind of progressiveness by like uh, doing labor for this guy or like carrying uh, carrying out campaigns to like get people to vote for the Democrats. It's just you're not doing anything. It, it, you know, the very, very least, it's a, a, I guess like a modicum of harm reduction, possibly. Um but again, that's arguable, considering the fact that when you know Republicans inevitably get back in 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 into administration, they will just remove using fucking executive orders any good stuff that the Democrats have done. So again, Red Planet's uh, position on electoral politics remains uh, that it is cringe uh, and not based. So there you go. But that's that's uh, that's the update. That's the update on the the big old. Thanks the for the old, California update. What was um, California? So Sophie, tell us our about official it's... California uh, uh, correspondent uh, DJ Mule from England. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of England, uh, Sophie's yeah. going to tell us about uh, a nonce. Yeah. Well, Kira, you were wondering about what a nonce was, so let's yes. talk about Russell Brand. Uh, were you aware of Russell Brand before? Yes, uh, he's oh, wow. he's an actor. Um, he's in one. Of well, my he's favorite... originally a stand-up comedian. Okay, originally um, stand-up comedian. Comedian. He's a. He was in my one of my favorite movies, or was one of my favorite movies. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I've watched that movie uh-huh. like a million times. Yeah. He was like yeah. the douchey guy. Um, yeah. Wow. And I also know. <laughs> I also know that like now he's like this weird conspiracy guy on YouTube. Yes. Right. Well. So okay. This is yeah. Thank you for, get, for get, mentioning that. Um, he's been going to the right for a while um and a lot of people have pointed this out like this has probably been knowing that this was coming uh because i mean you know you look at louis ck or whatever that guy's comedy was like uh i don't know if we'd call it woke or whatever it's certainly like not wasn't revolutionary but it was like you know to the left of whatever and um then he was outed as being a, a sex creep and then he came back and immediately was talking about pronouns. And um, so Russell Brand's been doing this like... Uh, Tales all this time, honestly. Like conspiracy. Uh, like it's been, it's been, it's, you know, you know, the kind of guy who is uh, very spiritual and, and appeals to a lot of broad ideas of like being tolerant of everyone. And in that way, comes across a little bit like a leftist to people, but then is like anti-vaccine and in the conspiracy space and uh, frequently chats with like ra- raging transphobes and uh, and like conservative politicians and shit. And it's like, well, that's just a right winger who's doing some like hippie aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very much the space has been in for a while. Um, yeah. So the news coming out uh, yesterday, I think, was when it broke. Um, is that Russell Brand has been uh, accused by multiple women um, 
of uh, and and I mean this is like much bigger than just the multiple women who have been interviewed for the investigation, but because it seems uh, that it's been an, an an open secret is the term that people are using uh, for a long long time um, that he's just a, a horrible piece of shit basically. Um, the article is worth being uh, worth being careful before you have a read of it, especially if you have, if you have any um trauma around this kind of subject and if you have any um yeah if you're liable to get triggered by reading about this stuff uh it it, it gets pretty heavy there's some stuff that's like um i mean to, to put it simply uh these allegations describe brand engaging in just about every horrible abuser predator behavior and groomer behavior mm-hmm. uh under the sun um getting uh i mean it, it details a relationship that he had with a 16 year old girl when he's 31 yeah uh it talks about him sending a like sending a taxi to pick her up from school like taking her out of classes um oh. it's uh it talks about him getting her to change uh his contact name in her phone so her parents wouldn't know um yeah honestly just like the allegations detail him uh uh talking uh, yeah behaving in absolutely every textbook abuser and predator way uh both to adults and uh, a, a child so worth being careful before you have a read of that um I, I feel it's worth commenting on because it's um you know we are in this perpetual um perpetual struggle to see any kind of feminist justice come about in society and um the outing of um high profile sex predators is uh a part of that like pointing out how much patriarchy continues to prop up not just men generally and give people give give men privilege and uh, positions of power in society, but specifically uh, how it props up the absolute worst conceivable men, uh, men that other men find horrifying, and, and yet somehow they're getting the the power and the and and the fame and the money. Uh, isn't that strange? It's almost like the system was designed by them to do exactly this. <laughs> yeah, I think I think one of the most important things to recognize about this is that this dispatches show so th- there are like so many layers to this, right? Like Channel yeah. 4 have <clears throat> consistently hosted Russell Brand as like a presenter of multiple things. He's worked for them like over and over in the past. Really? Yeah. Yes. Cuz they were the ones like okay, so they for, did the show. They're the, the ones that did the big the This big... is extremely comparable to Jimmy Savile being outed. It's just that like yeah. Um, people our age w- would be less familiar directly just, with having watched Jimmy Savile, whereas yeah. whereas Russell Brand, someone whose shows we've actually watched. Yeah. So to, just yeah. to just to put this into perspective for the Americans, the Channel Four is a is a like I guess a it channel. Would, it that would be like in the what's UK, the, right? Yeah. What's like the what's like the kind of artsy but still very liberal channel in the states? Would NBC. PBS or something or like, something like that, yeah. Okay. Showtime, so. maybe. I don't know. Like so, like yeah. It's it's maybe like PBS. that. It's okay. yeah, like P- PBS kind of shit. Um, so, yeah, it's a major major network in the UK. Yeah. So yeah, we, producer is saying it, it would be like ABC, basically. Okay, yeah. so they're the ones that have been hosting him, but then they also just released this documentary, right? That was yeah. like the big bombshell. Not, I think the Times. 
revealed like like did an article about him like right before the channel four documentary but apparently what i've been reading is the channel four channel four made a documentary about how like horrible russell brand is Uh um and they've been prepping it for some time um so that's really interesting i didn't know that extra piece that they were actually the previously uh the host for like hosted him all the time and then they do this that's interesting well this is is it's worth saying in the investigation as well they talked extensively about like uh, staff who work for Channel 4 um, quoted as saying we felt like we were pimps for him. Uh, they were um, they were essentially like in a process of constantly of like inviting good looking women who are like in the audience of shows to like come hang out with him after um, just like sort of finding like finding women for him uh, to abuse. And like again, this is just like uh, very, very, very similar to the um to the allegations that came out about Jimmy Savile after his death, just the, yeah. the open uh, secret of it and the, and the institutional nature of it and the way that like people who were on payroll for these big media institutions were being like their, their, their paid time was being used mm-hmm. to further like sexual abuse. I just want to, I just want to like get the, the sort of listeners sort of heads into into this because Russell Brand, like for me, I'm not sure if this is going to be the same for you, Sophie, because I know I'm a bit older than you, but yeah. um, I specifically remember when Russell Brand started like doing the rounds and he was doing like, yeah. um, you know, panel shows and stuff. Yeah. And he was appearing in these various things. His whole thing was like his whole comedy bit, like his comedy personality was yeah. how he'd like done a lot of drugs and had sex with a lot of women. Yeah. Yeah, that was the yeah. whole thing, and yeah. I was—I wasn't that much of a feminist back then, but I, I knew straight away that that was cringe as shit. Like, and yeah. he wasn't being fucking, you yeah. know what I mean? He definitely wasn't being like real. He wasn't like being relatable, um, and he's like a rather sort of like. Um, I don't know. I don't want to yeah. like. I don't want to. I don't want to gatekeep. But like, you know, he's just like a very like foppish, dandy, metrosexual guy. Like, he's, it's just kind of. It's just kind of like, like again, to keep on making the Jimmy Savile comparison. It's just like guy who's like in the public eye in the UK who gives yeah. nonce vibes for years this and years. Is what and years. I mean, turns out to be a nonce. Wow, yeah. we're all yeah. apparently sincerely yeah. really surprised about this. See, this it's is just, what this is yeah. what really as like a a survivor of like being abused by people with audiences that I still haven't spoken up about because of all the pressure that like the, my, my pessimism about like how nothing, I don't feel like anything would ever come of it except getting my life be made worse. You know, when I see things like this, it really, really hurts. It hurts Uh to see somebody so publicly being who they like this person and yet people applaud them and they just get more fans and they get more adoration and no, nothing ever occurs unless these, unless these victims come together in a coordinated documentary like and even then i'm sure there's gonna be plenty of people well and now you have all these men defending already run andrew and elon musk already run to his defenses so that's that's that (laughs) i have oh sorry so well i was just gonna say there's another there there is one more horrible british story i want to jump onto in a second but like i have two things i really want to point to uh if people do decide to read the article um one is um uh they talk a little bit in the in the times article about his um his reputation as a womanizer his reputation as as be as having uh slept with lots of women exactly like neil mentioned um and i i think that it's worth saying like this could go either way for people and like people who are trying to support him 
would probably try and read this as like yeah women love him or whatever um but it's it, i think it's i think it's just worth pointing out the this uh as a pattern that like a lot of guys who are like this will will use like the power they have to get themselves like forcibly presented as like a guy who sleeps with lots of women uh so that it like so that it, it it seems less weird to people that they're constantly fixated on uh on preying mm. on women. Um yeah, and I was just gonna very, very quickly uh, mention um, you know, the fact that this has been brewing in circles, in media circles for the last week. Um yeah. someone mentioned it and Russell Brand immediately started streaming about it, saying, yeah. No, yeah. this is a conspiracy. Well, then he went and oh, did yeah, a comedy live show actually. Yeah. And yeah. he, he says yeah, it's a yeah, he's yeah. against him. <laughs> he, yeah. It's literally what he's saying. It's it's yeah. it's so vile, and it's like it's All like right. oh, you literally know better than Andrew Tate. And no. he he just so and 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 again to mention, it's very very clearly on display that if you are some kind of like under some kind of illusion that like mm-hmm. cancel culture can uh, you know actually like ruin these men's careers or like you know getting me tooed is going to destroy their lives. Yeah. He was doing comedy shows last night in london to thunderous applause the the audience is all still there he's not going to lose any money that's the end i mean i hope he does if he loses fucking everything he seems like yeah we we all do we all do Um, we have to make sure this is the other thing i wanted to to quickly say to wrap it up is that um you know i think we've had discussions about um about justice on the show where we talked to cradle community and then we read read their book we talked about transformative justice and like I, um, in processing some of this stuff and reading the article earlier today, I was posting about this on Blue Sky a bit, like, I think that it's really worth us holding space for the existence of guys like this, who it's such a a constant pattern of behavior over so many years, and they have no interest in changing, that functionally, we can just say, they're not going to change. And we, and we just know that's a person who exists, yeah. right? And also hold space for the idea that people can change. Um and it, the reason it's important for the latter is n- absolutely categorically not to say Russell Brand could change. Fuck that guy. Get in the sea. Um, but for the but for all the all of the all of the insecure and cowardly men who are now defending him, you know, I think it's really worth saying. Like, I think a lot of these guys they've probably done, they've probably treated women badly, right? At some point in their life, maybe currently, maybe historically, and they feel like they are the same as him. And being absolutely and, and and people uh people acting like well that's that that's even the thing. Like it's not that it's not that we or, or or our our people are acting like people can't change, but but he will people like him will absolutely rely on the idea that like if he is allowed to be held accountable by feminists, by by people who care about women for his actions, then every other man who's ever treated women uh, badly ever in any way will also be held uh to will be punished exactly the same um and yeah i think i think that it's important for us to hold space for like people like this are fucking monsters who are not going to change and also that the majority of people uh given the right social environment and and that we all spread you know feminist consciousness in the population and love and understanding will do better 100 percent all right, uh, we've got a couple of minutes, and I just wanted to quickly explain RAAC to Kira. Uh, Kira, have you heard about this? No. Uh, no. 
All right, this is a quick one. Um, so uh, British schools are collapsing. Um, it's going really well. Um, <laughs> uh, in a, in a in a in a moment of just like um, the the metaphors and mood of the political moment in the country just becoming absolutely physical, uh, it turns out that reinforced autoclave aerated concrete (RAAC), uh, which is a bit building material that's been really popular in the UK since the mid fifties. Um, yeah, turns out it can just fall apart. Um, turns out it can just completely crumble. And, um, and it's been known for a while, uh, but they haven't been doing anything about it because, uh, you know, it's only used in like schools or whatever. So why, why worry about it? UK um, is famous for two things, <laughs> hating children and yeah. being turfs, uh, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, this is a, this is a, this is a great moment of the, the, the perfect conflict, right? The 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 uh, unstoppable force of how much the UK hates children hitting the immovable object of a voter base who love saying "think of the children," and so there are, there is massive public outcry uh, for someone to do something about this situation, and also a massive public outcry to definitely do nothing about this situation because fuck yeah. them kids. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kira, any questions about the UK and how much we hate kids? No, I I, I think y'all really hate kids. Yeah. yeah. I think uh one of the one of the if you want to see something that is a little bit of comic relief related to this, uh yeah. you could go ahead and Google Rachel Reeves, um, uh-huh. who was caught um on a hot mic getting really mad that no one ever praises uh politicians when they do good stuff. Uh, after being questioned why her political party haven't done anything to stop schools falling apart on the heads of children. <laughs> also, um, young, you, young like, children as well. Like, even yeah, like teenagers. primary school primary kids. schools. Yeah. 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 Babies. Also, also, if you want to, uh, that, that's for a laugh, if you want to just feel good in general, um, uh, you should head over to patreon.com slash red uh, underscore planet. That's true. Um, that will make you feel good. Yeah, we want to we want to remind yeah. everyone that Red Planet is made possible by the direct support of our viewers and listeners. Yeah, and so for just as low as two bucks a month, and we can talk about the play, the different tiers later in this in the show. But just as low as two bucks a month, you can support us on Patreon, and we'd like to expand by hiring an editor to help us produce mm-hmm. and more shareable clips and create all new content. So please head on over for some immediate feel good dopamine yeah. uh, and just There's, become a patron. Uh, I think it's also worth mentioning we also have some exclusive content going up there we as we mentioned earlier limited hangouts but just to just to tell the listeners and viewers what that is um limited hangout is a an intelligence community term for when the government uh, publishes a bunch of classified documents to feed the conspiracy community a bunch of shit but not enough for them to be able to draw any serious conclusions just you know a limited hangout um and that's what we're having is a limited hangout uh where where conrad and i and sometimes other red planet hosts uh chat about conspiracy theories uh we talk about the reality and we talk about how conspiracy beliefs work and then we talk about what 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 those wacky kooky conspiracy theorists believe and the first episode is about bill gates and the second episode is about uh the democrats i think it's pretty good pretty good little spin-off show so check it out so um are you doing an intro for our guest sophie because you know most about them sure i uh yeah i mean amar's cool that works <laughs> there no, it okay, is okay fine amar's, amar's... 
Uh, I know Amar from going to uh, several different. Um, Conrad is getting really pissed off with us right now. Yeah. Uh, I know. I know our guest Amar from uh, a, a lot of different um, uh, causes and protests. Um, they are a, a, a sparkling uh, organizer and activist, and uh, we're really lucky to have them here on the show. Um, they they uh, recently were. Um, uh given a uh well uh, like um we'll talk about it in a second but basically they were slapped with some of the new um police powers that the the met police have been given against protests and um and so they're here to talk to us today about the state of of protest and dissent in the uk and how it how it all is and i mean it's bad is the short version but (laughs) (laughs) um amar how's it going babe Hey, hon. I'm uh, I'm hungover, but good apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> Iconic. Um, yeah. Uh, do you want to tell us about? Um, so, I mean, one thing you're involved in, I know you're involved with is uh, LGSM. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So, lesbians gay support the migrants. Um, it was the first group that I joined. It's how I got involved in organizing. It's where I became an abolitionist. Um, and it's built on this, you know, long-standing tradition of queer solidarity with other marginalized groups. So back during the miners' strike, there was a group called Lesbians and Gay Support the Miners. If any of you have seen the film Pride, which I think everybody has, um, that that's about that group, um, who are kind of the inspiration behind LGS migrants. Um, and so what we do is a mix of campaigning work, fundraising and direct action. And it's built on the idea that, you know, as as queer people, historically, our communities have been, you know, brutalized and criminalized by the state in the same way that asylum seekers and migrants are being criminalized and targeted now. Um, and so it's a it's a solidaristic group, essentially. Um, and the actions that we do kind of range from campaigning to fundraising to direct actions. I think one thing that's been quite interesting and sobering is that maybe historically, um, you know, near when the group was founded, maybe there was a bit more of a sense that the trajectory of um, civil rights for queer people was definitely kind of, you know, advancing with a particular kind of teleology to it, like it was getting better and so it was very much yeah. like oh but we remember how it used to be so we're going to show solidarity with asylum seekers and migrants yeah. one thing that's quite sobering is that as we can see migrants and asylum seekers are one pole of like the tar- targeting by fascists and the government at the moment yeah and trans people and queer people by extension are now the, the other end of that pole yeah absolutely and i mean um speaking of uh queer and trans people being targeted um <laughs> Uh, we've talked a little bit on the show in regular news segments about uh, the the Posey Parker and Honor Oak demos, which tend to be um, the the ugly stepsisters of uh, British protests at the moment. Uh, they're usually on the same weekend, one day after the other. Um, Posey Parker obviously draws a, 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 a tiny crowd because she's just the the the, the she in J.K. Rowling, um, but. Um, a bunch of fascists have been showing up to Honor Oak Pub to get really mad at a, a drag time story hour. And you were there uh, against them uh, sometime. And it, but it wasn't a good time. Do you want to tell us about <laughs> that? Yeah, no, um, a good time. It certainly was not. I guess um, you probably already chatted about this. I know you have, in fact, but as a bit of a, a refresher. So um, we've had 
Turning Point UK, which is a far right, centre right, they maintain, actually. I think they successfully got someone who reported on them to to correct the record. They're, in fact, a centre right group, not a far right one. Um, They're inspired by Turning Point in the US. So, you know, all of the kind of bingo card. Thanks, Kira. Yeah. Uh, anti-abortion, like anti-choice, um, and, and anti all of the things. We know, we know the rubric, right? And so they called, um, a demo in February outside a pub called the Honor Oak pub, um, against Drag Queen Story Hour, um, which was going on there. Um, local people turned up in massive numbers. There were like 900 of us against like 40 very sad looking far right people, including the fake vicar Calvin Robinson. Yeah, Calvin Rock. Calvin Robertson, yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, the fake, the fake brigadier, you know, Lawrence Fox, uh, uh-huh. all of that lot. Um, but they've been coming back month after month, and there's been ongoing community resistance to that. Uh, and you know, the resistance has been local; it's been local people. Um, but increasingly, whereas initially it was kind of your. Well, this is um, if I if it's okay to cut in. Uh, this is like. Speaking of like you know sort of like local communities, um, when 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 these fascists are always going off about like traditional values and and faith and stuff, you know they've got their they got their fake vicar Calvin Robertson on their side, and um, there was a there was an actual vicar of a local church near uh, Honor Oak who spoke out in favor of of trans people and again and condemned the uh, the actions of the fash and um, someone. We can all make up our minds about who uh, smeared human shit all over the door of the church. So you know that's um, that's that's how much these guys value, um, I guess, local communities and, and, and British traditions and all that. Yeah, real classy. Like they're not even doing like Christian nationalism with respect to like Christ anymore. Um, but yeah, so honor oak protests have been ongoing. Um, there's been fluctuations, you know, between I think. 300 to 900 on our side and between maybe 30 to 100 on their side and it's been fluctuating um and it was at it was in june i think on the 24th of june um that i was there earlier in the day before i arrived there had been violence or i should say nazis had attacked local people outside the pub so you know a pub window was smashed by projectiles you know multiple people were concussed so there had been this like horrific genuinely horrific. well in, in fact arda who we've had on the show yeah 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 yeah, yeah. if people um, remember our quicker episode with arda cable absolute angel that one absolute angel um but yeah after after the violence had after the attack had happened uh Cops showed up, separated the groups. Um, um, by the time I arrived, it was just us lot facing off against them lot behind some barriers. A sound system arrived to drown out the homophobic slurs that they were shouting. Um, at some point, as happened every month, you know, the crowd took the street. The fash were further away from the pub than they had been. That was a massive win. So they can't intimidate the kids. They can't intimidate the parents. Sound system's out. I'm wearing a bra. My ass looks great. We're having a dance. Um and then the police decide 40 minutes before the close of the demonstration that actually this is now no longer a protest. It's a party that now actually is causing serious disruption, even though they'd opened one side of the traffic. So I get I get nicked pretty quickly and thrown into a van and she she now has a record. So that's fun. 
Sorry, babe. And and this is um. So this has uh. As I was saying, this is actually the new police powers from the PCSC bill, isn't it? This is um public nuisance. Yeah. So it's a breach of section fourteen, which is when conditions are imposed on a protest while it's ongoing, and that goes back mm-hmm. to the old Public Order Act, nineteen eighty six. Right. The reason that the section fourteen conditions which was to get off the road and shut off the music the reason those were upheld in court as as being lawful is because of the redefinition under the police crime sentencing and courts act of serious disruption to mean anything that's more than minor and on the necessity for the cops to take into account impacts on uh anyone who might be affected by the protest rather than just you know the local community or residents or anything like that so yeah it's a it's a, it's a breach of an older law but the reason the conditions themselves were upheld in court as lawful is because of the pcsc act and this is um well, well um like i don't have a total uh, a complete un- understanding of it but like the 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 ways that the, the powers have been given recently like this affects your ability to go to future protests does it not um actually so there weren't conditions put on like my bail and there weren't any conditions attached um which is lucky but that's also not saying much you know like once someone has been arrested they are known to the police there is a high likelihood of being arrested um and I, i think it's probably important to say as well like yeah this is a result of new innovations in terms of policing law but the yeah. basis of it, which is the arbitrariness of the cops' ability to just nab whoever they want, that's kind of been consistent since the dawn of policing powers way back when, yeah. right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think it's important to 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 highlight that just in general. It's like, yeah, we have these new awful uh bills going around parliament going around like you know that have been passed and like there's there's amendments that they want to make yeah. to the legislation and stuff, but it, it it's it's look it's just because they're getting more scrutiny that they're doing this stuff. Um, you know, it, it, this, this kind of thing has been absolutely happening as you say, uh, am I just like since the, 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 the fucking dawn of the police, like, you know, just do whatever the fuck they want. Like that's, that's the, the thing that you have yeah. to remember. Yeah. Let's not take the, the liberal position here. It's not the PCSC bill is like, Oh no, so bad. The police, they shouldn't have that much power. They should just have this. No, Nah, yeah, him. when you when you hear about uh-huh. like <laughs> cases like um I can't remember the fella's second name, but there's a fella called Kevin um who was simply arrested and charged with murder because he knew someone who got murdered. This is the joint enterprise. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manchester is a is a kind of hotbed of application of this this thing. Just yeah. just uh, um get you know someone's someone's been charged and then they just get their mate and. And charge them with the exact same crime. Yeah, literally. And it's like you, this happened way before the PCS, uh, PCSC or whatever police crime sentencing bill. Sorry, uh, went through. So yeah, spot on, spot on. I think with with that one as well, it's important to note, you know, the the kind of direction in terms of convictions for joint enterprise cases, right? Like it's not a coincidence that the infrastructure to try primarily young black men. Uh, and gangs um, was preceded by the establishment of Manchester's equivalent of London's, you know, now disabled apparently gangs matrix and the construction of a multi-million pound uh, courthouse by uh, Andy Burnham um, up in Manchester. So it's no surprise that once the infrastructure has been built, curiously, suddenly there are loads of black men who are actually, uh, you know, jointly responsible supposedly for the murder of their friends, right? Well, um, could you you just mentioned the, the gangs matrix. Could you unpack that for us a little bit? 
Yeah, so the the Gangs Matrix um, in London was is theoretically it's been I think deconstructed I need to check that though um was a way of basically mapping people that the state considered to be suspicious and this was done just on the basis of social groups of listening to drill music of like people knowing each other and being related to one another given the profiling of young black men in particular already not a massive shock that the gang's matrix just completely like expanded this this out right and so basically it's a it's an infrastructural tool of profiling, which is then being used um, to link people up together for joint enterprise convictions. In a very real sense, it's just it's just mapping uh, black communities. Like it, it's just the, it's just the state saying we're going to make black communities really legible to us. We know this guy's mates with this guy, and this guy's mates with this guy. So then, anytime we can arrest someone, we can get another one. Yeah, it's like if Paul Mason was employed by the government, and we and we knew he was employed by the government. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, well, I, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, about the current, uh, leadership of the Labour Party, because, uh, we just mentioned, we were just chatting about the, um, RAAC scandal that's going on with, uh, schools falling down on children and, uh, no one giving a fuck, uh, slash cheering, uh, cause that's how much Britain hates kids. Um, and, you know, Labour have been absolutely useless about this as, a, as they've been on so many things. And then they've also been, um, you know, quite particularly horrible about migrants under Keir Starmer's leadership. Um, just this week, we've had um, Starmer saying that uh, people who are coming across uh, the the channel in small boats should be treated uh, like terrorists attacking the nation, if I'm remembering correctly how he said. Um, I'm loving Kira's face throughout this, by the way, as we just like go through point by point of current British politics and she's finding out how it's, how it's going. Um, and you know, we, we mentioned joint enterprise, obviously, uh, Starmer himself was, um, was head of the, uh, crown, uh, what's it called? Crown prosecution Prosecution service. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's like a lot of this, a lot of this stuff is either the current labor leadership doesn't give a fuck or they've. Or the, their their favorite boy, their favorite square headed man, was actually directly involved in like a lot of this horrible uh, injustice. Um, you know, I think it's worth opening up a bit of discussion um, with what you you know you've, you you what we're aware of with um, your involvement in protests so far, and your your like your you know your your new uh, sexy cool uh, criminal record um, <laughs> that like we talk about like. Um, Labour, who are supposed to be on the side of, um, well, well, Labour, um, for one, but, you know, like the left and um, how that relates to protests at the moment, because like we don't have a party in mainstream politics who are really on our side. And I guess like, uh, you know, Starmer as top cop is unlikely to come in and um, after the next general and like take away these police powers if we're being realistic. So what are your f- thoughts and feelings about like how, like, where we're at with protest, with Labour, you know, with there being no electoral voice for the left? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not good, is it, right? Like, this is, this is the guy who, during the 2011 Tottenham Uprising, introduced the idea of 24-hour courts so more kids could get sent to jail more efficiently. I think one girl got six months for, for stealing a bottle of water. So this is this is what we're dealing with here, right? And Starmer's Labour has really doubled down on the law and order rhetoric, right? Um, and even, even I think he was on, 
uh, Good Morning Britain or one one of those kind of TV shows that like no one actually watches because we don't watch television anymore. Um, he was asked about the decision around Clapham Common in which um, the two women who had been um, arrested quite violently at the vigil for Sarah Everard were given payouts by the Met Police. Um, and he was careful to kind of caveat this by saying, instinctively, anyone could tell that doing that was wrong. But where does Keir Starmer stand on, you know, removing police powers? You know, been, he's been asked repeatedly if he's going to uh, undo some of the legislation that he supposedly opposed while it was being passed, like the PCSC Act, like the Public Order Act. And the answer is no, or silence, which we can take to be no, right? Um, And in terms of where that leaves us, I think the sad truth is that I am someone who who believes that there is a necessary engagement with electoralism on the basis that there can be some mitigation to these kind of laws that see vast waves of people uh, criminalise. If we look at where Labour is at, um, it, it doesn't look like that is forthcoming. You know, the left within Labour even, you know, doesn't seem to be in a position where it's able or willing to mobilise itself to cause serious problems in the interest of mitigating state violence, right? And, yeah, I, I mean, think... um, uh, Wes Streeting, uh, Starmer's favourite favorite little dude, um, recently said uh, you should stop protesting for us to be a better opposition and start protesting for us to be a better government, i.e. he's so confident the Labour will win that we we all us uh loony lefties who want things like human rights and enough food to eat and for schools to not fall down on babies um should should start getting mad at labor in a new way uh which is getting ready for them to be in charge yeah and do you know what i will never say this again Streeting is correct in that one sense, right? Which is that that is a terrain that we need to be preparing for, right? Like, well, I'm personally not convinced that lobbying some on literally anything. And you can talk to people who work in the left think tanks about what lobbying around energy or climate policies has done. Every single thing has been run back on. Every single thing has I been agree. watered down, right? So, yeah, we do need to get ready to be resisting a Labour version of what we currently have now in government. And I think what that looks like really is acknowledging that, whereas historically when we talk about militancy in terms of protests, we were talking about some fucking mad shit, you know, we're talking about Battle of the Beanfield, we're talking about Angry Brigade. Where we are at right now is that militancy is a relative category you know, in terms of your proximity to criminalization, which means that unfortunately walking slowly down a road is militant these days, right? Now, in terms of what that means for us, people are going to continue protesting, right? Like, it's not the case that as every single thing gets increasingly criminalised, people are necessarily going to sit down and take it. So I don't think it's necessarily a call as to like, oh, do we still protest or do we not? People are going to do that. And they're going to do it in forms of like capital P protests. And they're going to do it in the form of insurrections, you know, that will be termed riots, for example, like we saw in Tottenham in 2011. So the real question for us, I think, is how do we build an infrastructure to support people who are going to be facing that violence and criminalization? And that looks more like care work and training and upskilling, right? So that looks like making sure that if you have bust cards, you take them to demos and give them out. That makes that 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 means sharing information with people who are going to protest for the first time. It means making sure that we're volunteering to do arrestee support for when people are coming out of the nick. It means making sure we're volunteering to do court support. It means making sure that we're fundraising, you know, for people's legals costs or even just their living costs when their lives are negatively negatively affected by criminalization. So I think that in, in a way, 
that kind of has to be the focus of of of, of where we're at in terms of you know like leftists i suppose yeah it would be very very like based for people to start uh mutual aid groups specifically around that um just because of absolutely everything that 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 you've said and i think as well um though again like upping that kind of awareness of prison abolition upping that awareness of you know police abolition you know i think a lot of the time people hear about prison abolition and they just can't get that you know thought in their head like oh but what about the murderers what about the rapists and and we've just got to drill it into the reds prisons are not full of murderers and rapists they they get away with their crimes all the fucking time they're full of petty offenders who are then institutionalized um you know most women state... in the uk prison most women in the uk prison system are in there for not paying their tv license yeah a third a third a third of women right yeah and or, or maybe might even be two-thirds i don't know but um yeah just co- completely absurd but i think i think that just sort of like raising awareness of like the power of the state and what the state wants um and i think yeah you spot on you spot on with the 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 trying to lobby labor for anything there is this just like particular um i don't know what you would call it it is just it is brain poisoning it to a degree it's like it's like how can you possibly think that there is any chance of lobbying Keir Starmer to do anything like he's you turned on everything all of his election uh promises uh when when he was elected to be leader of the party um every single thing that he said that was remotely left-wing like why do you think for a second that lobbying is going to do anything um th- this generally comes from like older trade union leftists um who are used to like a, a sort of comfortable i guess i guess a, a relationship to the labor party where the labor party is like well we know that they're pretty neoliberal we know that they've you know the the there was the whole thing under tony blair of like the the uh, house of lords scandal and whatever like paying for um what was it? Paying for peerages, cash, cash yeah. for peerages, and all that stuff. But you know, they did some good stuff. They raised the minimum wage, and they did this, and they did that. So the next time a Labour government comes in, they'll probably do some good stuff with the bad stuff as well. And it's like, you know, how do we tell them that there's there's no guarantee of that? How do we? <laughs> well, so I guess I agree, right? But I also want to problematize it a little bit because I suppose that there is, there does exist some modicum of leverage through the trade unions, right? Now, the tricky thing, and I think we saw this with the TUC conference, which happened, I think, last year, you heard different noises coming from different trade unionists, right? Ranging from like Mitt Lynch and Sharon Graham, who also said, you know, we're reacting in slightly different ways to uh, Angela Rayner's supposed, you know, revolutionary deal for workers. Um I think like Graham is going about it in a very interesting way where she's take, you know, she's diverting funds that would have gone to the Labour Party and funneling them into what she's calling, you know, red wall towns to basically do campaigning, um, doorstep campaigning around issues like energy and around nationalization. So that when Starmer goes to those same red wall seats, he's going to be faced with local people. Actually, the electorate, you know, the focus groups are going to be demanding something different. And I think there's something to be said for that, right? Whereas whatever the limitations of electoralism, and we know there are many, if you find yourself in a position where you are a keynote of the financing of the, of the Parliamentary Labour Party, you can do something with that. And actually, I think like Mitt Lynch's like, you know, um, appearances in the press becoming a household name um, has gone some way to showing that you can do that a little bit. Um 
but well, I guess also it's it's I'm gonna if I go off too long, do interrupt me. It's the ADHD brain, hon. No, babe, um, you're you're honestly like um, we're gonna have you back like once every month. You're you're nailing it. This is fantastic. Yeah. Oh my god, amazing! I passed the test. Um, <laughs> I was I've been reading um, Aaron Kunani's book recently, which is called uh, "What Is Anti Racism and Why Is It Anti Capitalist?" Right. Um, and when I first saw the title, I was like, I feel like I know that honestly. Um, but it's a very very good book in terms of charting the history of uh, how race and racism is conceptualized right and one of the really important points in it is I think you know this tendency that Starmer and you know Kanani doesn't explicitly name Starmer in this but this tendency that Starmer um, represents which is you know doubling down on law and order doubling down on antisocial behavior doubling down on the border right um, it reflects um, a wider anxiety that has historically been true about neoliberalism's funneling of wealth from the global south into the global north and in particular into Britain um, formed the basis of the post-war welfare consen- consensus, right? Like we got our welfare state off the backs of um, the ext- extractivism in the global south. Neoliberalism then comes in as a way of disciplining these newly independent nations, you know, that are demanding, you know, redistribution of wealth, who have workers' movement, you know, that are threatening Western puppets that are put in there. But there's nowhere for for people in the global south at the tail end of, you know, the privatization of agriculture in India, for example, um, or what they're attempting to do across Africa as well. Um, there is nowhere for people who are being proletarianized supposedly in the global south to go, which is creating the conditions that leads to um, what is being termed the migrant crisis. At the same time, um, you know, we've got this whole um underclass that has been created within Britain of people who cannot get secure work and actually the system could not work cannot give them secure well-waged work so you have kind of internally alienated or displaced communities and you have that you know at a global level as well what Starmer represents is like you know the crystallization of the anxiety of what it means for every single you know piece of welfare uh, that as leftists you know we are advocating for being predicated on the existence and the oppression of these communities, both internally within Britain and also globally, right? So I think it, it can be easier to discuss at the level, I think, to talk about Starmer as like a cop or like a racist in a way that maybe other people weren't. We also need to think at a structural level, like, don't get me wrong, Jeremy Corbyn, absolute boy. How Also much wanted that... to fund the police more. So, you know. Exactly, right? You know, there, there are structural reasons why the Labour Party cannot go far enough in the direction that we want. And we have to only relate to it if we do relate to it as a potential damage mitigating measure, right? It's literally exactly what I was saying about the the Democrats in, in the USA just a, just a while ago. Yeah, 100%. Shall we talk more about like labor on a structural level then? Like something that, um, something that Nat likes to point out is like uh, political technologies that are deployed, like without, effectively without revolution, like you can't, actually take any political technology away and that's something that like you know if we think about uh blair bringing in like asbos like that's a political technology that's a technology of policing and like um so that that's a a thing that's in the mainstream it's in the policy environment it's in the consciousness now it's never going away and so like this is something that i think we, we like should should always frame a discussion of the Labour Party as it exists right now, uh, because like again, like Corbyn wanted, like Corbyn 
was good for a bunch of reasons, but but also wanted to fund a bunch more police. And it's like that comes down to, um, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't just like a lot of people think that like um, the platforms that politicians run on just come down to like what will be popular. And it doesn't just come down. I mean, obviously, British people do have British brain, uh, the, the the worst mental disease known to man. But like this, it doesn't just come down to like British people loving cops. Uh, it comes down to like there can't really be a leader of the Labour Party who's saying like we're going to get in and we're going to like radically uh, reshape what the police mean. You know, we, we, we're we not going to like there, there, there just isn't going to be a Labour leader who comes in and says like we're actually going to uh, have less cops because fund- like fundamentally one of the like um undergirding technologies here is like always more always more everything and one of the one of the always mores is always more cops yeah i think that's i think that's 100 true and i guess if we were to think about you know what it might mean to build towards a popular constituency of people who'd be significant enough um that they might be able to make those demands to that effect you know to a potential hypothetical um good Labour leader down the line if, you know, the world isn't burning by then. Um, what that would look like is, you know, actually trying to provide infrastructures at a local level and systems of care that are able to do what people currently are taught that the police and the prisons do, right? And so, like, that means, and I think, you know, I meet so many amazing comrades who have, like, really good analysis, you know, and, and you know, in, in terms of their politics strategically, like, they're doing a hell of a lot, and this hyper-local stuff, I think, often doesn't always get seen as, as capital P political in the same way that, you know, like getting Nick to an anti-fascist protest might do, for example, right? Um, but, you know, when we talk, like, there, one example of this, in Lewisham, which is where I live, um, they are trying to introduce public space protection orders that would last three years and cover the entirety of the borough. So public space protection orders were brought in in 2014 as a means of criminalising antisocial behaviour, right? Because apart from a public space protection order, antisocial behaviour isn't actually a criminal category. The use of public space protection orders turns it into one within a geographical area within a particular time limit. Now, there's been a campaign called We Keep a Safe Lewisham, which I'm involved in. And there's also been local councillors, local Labour councillors, who have been resisting the Labour Council that has been trying to do this. Um, And, you know, it's still ongoing, the fight against it. But what that has looked like has been, you know, actually at the Honor Oak that I got, uh, demo that I got arrested at, you know, there were there were people going round with a like people's consultation to say, do you want the police to have these powers in your community? And if people said yes, the conversation would then be, why? What do you think it is about this that we need the police to do? There'll be a conversation about what else it might look like. Um, that kind of like hyper-localized like political education stuff like helps people conceive about safety in ways that are different to the predominant narrative. And I think as you know, more and more people get precarious, more and more people get drawn into poverty. Um, I hate saying cost of living crisis because that's just not what's going on, right? It's just the expansion of poverty and the destruction of the elsewhere middle classes, right? As that happens, more people are going to get brought into contact with the antagonisms of capital through the police protecting poverty. And we've seen that with the, you know, furrow around the, um, the, the year of the shoplifters, I think the mirror turned it, right? Um, those are even what liberals would call crimes of survival. As more and more people experience the sharp end of policing and of prisons and of this law and order rhetoric, 
there has to be something to draw them into, right? There has to be some community of care. There has to, we have to be there on the ground, you know, feeding, feeding each other, clothing each other, trying to transform our social relations. That has to be the base of a political constituency, either that a social democratic Labour leader can capitalise on or that a revolution can have off the back of, right? Whichever you prefer. I do think that we should briefly touch on the year of the shoplifters thing. Um, because maybe this is something that we should have mentioned in the news, but, um, you know, we, we're, we're not always, we're not always, uh, you know, firing on all cylinders when it comes to every single news uh, piece. And we don't really, we're just discerning. We just, we just, we just have taste, you know, we that's have what it is. Taste. We, just, we say some news it's cringe, some news it's based and we just don't, you know, necessarily exactly. want to. No, if you see someone shoplifting, no, you didn't, isn't it? Like, yeah, right. Exactly. So why talk about it? I would hope that, uh, you know, most of our listeners would know that anyway. Uh, but I do think like what we're seeing now, in case anyone's not aware, we have an international audience. Um, so just in case anyone doesn't know, in the UK right now, the mainstream media is really firing up against shoplifters because as uh, Amadeep has rightly pointed out, um, it's a crime of survival that more and more people are doing because the material conditions they're suffering under neoliberal capitalism are getting worse. Um, and because you know, because he lives, it's the cozy lives basically. Mule, uh, you wouldn't steal a baby, you wouldn't steal a baby apart from when I would. Uh, I've stolen multiple babies. This is me coming out of a baby steal stealer. some really expensive cunty platform boots. Oh, you are so wrong. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where we at Red Planet we've reported, we've said these things are just going to keep happening. The more and more, the, the worse and worse that the things get for people, the more and more we're going to see these kinds of actions. Um, so what we're seeing in response to that is this horrific demonizing of anything remotely based on anyone trying to grasp at their own living needs, right? So it's 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 exactly the same kind of thing when we saw the pushback. Again, we've spoken about how Corbyn is not necessarily the answer, um, you know, and while I think that shoplifting um we're gonna see more and more of it but it's the wrong thing and you should never do it because it's illegal and it's bad or whatever anyway um but like you know at the same time like corbyn was not the answer um but he was sort of talking about some things that would have made some people's living conditions a bit better and the media came down like a ton of bricks on him um again same with shoplifting the the, the things that we're seeing now and again also just stop oil uh, you know, and and various other like Fossil Free London, uh, various other organizations that are doing stuff that absolutely need to happen. And we're just going to see more and more media uh, coming down against that. I think luckily we have millennials and Gen Zs who just don't pay attention to that shit. Yeah. They'll either pay attention to that shit by way of reactionary political twats, uh, <laughs> Russell Brand, uh, or... Um, you know, they'll hear it from people like us and we tell them the truth about it. Um, so, you know, it's 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 kind of one of them, right? Did you um, know that Russell Brand is a nonce? <laughs> <laughs> we taught Kira a new word today, Amar, if you couldn't tell. Um, I think it's, I, I've been, um, you know, uh, full, full disclaimer, whatever, the law is the arbiter of morality. We don't endorse things that are wrong and bad, like breaking the law. But um, I think that, like, I've been saying for a while, you know, one of the one of the only good and worthwhile pieces of folklore that's in, like, the, peop the people in Britain, like, everyone in Britain would know immediately is Robin Hood, right? 
And it's just like stealing from the rich to feed the poor. Literally, you know, when people would otherwise not survive. I don't think it's that long before we see people like organizing in what the media will absolutely call like hooligan gangs or whatever the fuck. You know, to just go to just go knock over big Tesco's. Like, I really don't think it's that long before we see big Tesco's gets raided by some people who are like making sure that people can fucking survive. Yeah. Um, what yeah, and I think at the big Tesco while making <laughs> pan chocolates. What if, Amar? What if? Um, <laughs> the uh, the um, the thing I was going to say was, you know, it's, it's interesting what you said about like, you know, whether this, whether these, like these, these, this, these. Um, uh, this organizing and mutual aid like grows into each other in a revolutionary sense or whether some social democrat uh, labor leader is able to like, you know, um, capitalize off it to, to drive the country in a, in a marginally better direction. Um, it was just interesting to, you know, if you, to, to hear you say that, cause like I was on um, knowledge fight. Uh, I think the episode came out this week and um, you know, I saw someone who was, who was commenting on the stuff that I said and uh, it was quite amusing because I'd, I'd, I'd tried to caveat stuff I'd said carefully to say I'm a materialist and I want to be careful in saying that because I do want to like get past tendencies here and like be able to do, you know, like, like talk, talk about stuff that is obvious and should be clear to anyone who's a materialist. Um, and uh, I followed up that by saying, you know, I am an anarchist. However, I really blah, 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 blah. And like, I just saw some people complaining online who are just like very, very sure that like everything I'd said from that point onwards was like horribly anarchy brain poisoned. And it was just like, it's just that like, I just think it's really important to say that like this kind of organizing um, is a, like it's something that's going to happen because people need it. It's not, it's not just like the strategy that needs to happen. It's the it's the thing that's going to happen because people need food to live and stuff like that. Um, and B, like it is, in, it is enti- it fits entirely and completely with anyone's revolutionary strategy because it's just going to be the material conditions people are living with. So if you're a Marxist and you're you and you're a vanguardist even, and your whole thing is you know you're going to have the revolutionary party do the blah blah blah, and and then we'll get the and we'll down with the provisional government and so on. Like great, good for you. It's going to have to interface with this organizing. This organizing is going to exist. It's gonna. It's just well, gonna. <laughs> this is this is this is one of my bugbears actually because um, I. As someone who self-identifies as a communist, um, you know, I keep having these chats with comrades, you know, and then, you know, about how we need to, like, you know, transform social relations and overcome alienation and cultivate these new political constituencies to enable the class to become, you know, a class that is a class for itself, right? The agent of revolutionary change. And then I'm like, but I don't see you lot doing arrestable. I don't see you lot doing the care work. I don't see you lot taking the minutes. Do you know, like, it's that kind of thing. Who's doing that? Who do you see doing that, Amar? Yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I see you all having a lot of discussions in the central committee there. I don't (laughs) see a lot of you at the protest. And I don't see a lot of you at the support. Yeah, it was something... um, uh, Actually, it's worth saying, like, arrestee support is something that has been um, out of the current, like, protest milieu going on, like, something that has been done pretty well. Um, I remember uh, Nat went down for some arrestee support, and there was, like, there was, like, one fash. Like, there had been a few people arrested on our side, and there had been a, a, a few people, uh, maybe 
maybe maybe a few of each and like uh there was um yeah there was one fash who was uh, like for a little bit and then fucked off and otherwise just nobody nobody cared about their side they had no interest in like because to them like someone who gets nicked is a weakling who should have done better you know <laughs> and like our side had people who brought food they brought games they brought stuff to you know they brought spare blankets in case it got cold and all of this and like yeah i just think it's something we're doing well it's something we could be doing better but like yeah i think i think it's just it's just something more people could be doing like actually like in my experience like we're pretty good at some of this stuff you know as a whole but it, it is the same relatively small group of people that we see in doing this kind of work um and you know like we just you know, everyone needs to be getting involved in that kind of shit as well, right? I wanted to I wanted to jump back a little bit in terms of what we were discussing around, you know, shoplifting and around hypothetically people organizing themselves, you know, to in Marxist terms, disrupt the circulation of commodities. Um, Nick and Pano chocolates. And Or I not think, paying your rent. Or not paying your rent. And actually, um Actually, no. I will not say that now. If we talk about if we talk about not paying your rent too much, Nat's going to storm through from the other room and seize the mic off me. <laughs> yeah, I am here for that. I'm here for Nat coming in, seizing the mic. Oh yeah, seize the means of communication, Nat. Like holy shit. So, yeah, seizing the means of knowledge production. Typical Nat. Just typical Nat. She's coming. She's coming. <laughs> she's poking her head through. People listening at home can't see, but she's so she's so tempted. She's so tempted. Just like a little gremlin in the back. Here she comes. Yes. She's well, coming I've right get in. Some, I've got to get some water anyway, so you can you can just take my headphones for a minute. You can talk about the, fuck, the, yeah, the disrupting fuck. of the circulation of commodities. This fuck so hard. <laughs> capital I can't circulatory dies, chat. If you don't know that, if you don't know that about capital. It's just like, here's, here's the thing that I'm just saying every day is that like, you know, we we have like a unique moment of safety in the UK that like they have been cutting police budgets. You know, police are horrible and violent, but we actually have uh, enormous room for movement uh, to do quite radical things with a lot of safety. Um, and uh, not paying your rent is one of those. You know, in the US, if you're being evicted, cops show up with guns to help evict you potentially in the uk the court makes an appointment with the bailiff and you don't have to let them in um, yeah. and they have to tell you when they're going to show up the uh, only time and you could probably attest to this nat with lru actions when we've done eviction resistances with uh Great Manchester tenants union uh, the only time the cops have ever shown up is when it's been a social landlord um you know, social housing landlord, and that's because they are a corporation, basically. So they have like a bit more clout to be able to to call the police and and get them to turn up. Whereas, yeah, and like, they're still really only supposed to, you know, obviously cops break the rules all the time, but yeah. they're only really supposed to show up if there's a breach of a peace and it looks like there might be a physical fight between like yeah. the landlord and the tenants. Yeah. Um. Uh. So. Uh. Capitalism is killing the planet, is causing climate change, is is generating the death of ourselves and the systems we rely on. Uh, so we need to break break the break the wheel. Uh, and the primary fundamental thing is land reform. How do we do that in UK? I think we start with not paying our rent as a, as collectives. Um, you know, there's we have an enormous window of safety. I've been thinking of it like 
okay, what if I was to make the personal decision? I'm not going to, I'm going to try and hold out in this location and not pay my rent for a year. I can save 18,000 pounds and I can pay myself to go through all the stress of what that looks like. Uh, I can pay myself to deal with court fees. I can go to therapy. I can buy myself little treats. I can hang out with my friends. Um, because uh, I'm not paying £18,000 of rent. Um, <laughs> and then what, do, what, what does it look like if that's magnified and you've got a few people getting in on that uh, together? That looks like building dual power, potentially. That looks like mutual aid. That looks like creating uh, organisms to uh, replace dependence on the state because we can put our labor and our time and our resources straight into the things that we choose to, not like two thirds of it, which is like most of my friends going straight to the landlord, straight from the ruling class and back up to the ruling class to tell us what to do. Um, I think it's kind of, uh, that's, 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 that's what I think. Stop yeah. I think uh, yeah. your rent. I think I think I think that's solid. Um, I also think that an interesting kind of um, an interesting test case for this is. Can I come back in, on the show, please? <laughs> um, is in universities, right? Yeah. Where like um, actually students are in um, a really really good position actually to be collectively doing rent strike stuff, and there have mm-hmm. been some really impressive actions actually that have held out over the last few years um, across various universities, um, I think in particular in Man- in University of Manchester, right? So oh, I- you mean you mean the guy that we had on our show, Red Planet, that you should go and listen and watch uh, if you haven't already? Not you particularly, um, Amar Deep, just anyone listening. If you didn't know, we spoke to one of those guys. Anyway, continue. I'm going to let Sophie back on her show now. Bye, Nat. I love you. Bye, Nat. Okay, she's back. Sorry, Emma. Go go ahead. What, Hello. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, it's okay. I actually think that was it. That was a point I was going to make before Sophie left. Right. So back to robbing pan au chocolats. Um, yeah. So I think it's. I think it is true to an extent that um, you know the British the British public um, isn't going to be too fussed about people nicking stuff to survive. But I think that. What we what we have started to see um, has been um, the securitization of any work that involves customer service. So you've already seen this, you know, with the fact that it's just like commonplace, you know, um, across hospitality venues and bars and pubs. It's like CCTV everywhere. Like you have to call the police for certain things. Like um, there is that securitization happening that is now so kind of normal because it's about you know apparently protecting workers that we don't really question it same thing is now happening to um workers in supermarkets right so the body cams have been offered i think is it in asda to certain workers um and this is actually supposedly tesco um and we're going to see this you know increasingly rolled out because the 
what what's happening is that the corporations um you know that own like you know tesco's and sainsbury's and morrison's and all of that they are going to make it the problem of workers to say that actually you personally are going to have to stop the shoplifting happening otherwise you know as a supervisor in the store or as a manager you know you are going to personally be responsible for any losses that are incurred what that's going to precipitate within supermarkets is supermarket workers are going to find themselves on the front lines of like defending um you know capital from people that are trying to survive and as soon as that gets couched in you know the deserving under poor because underpaid supermarket worker or cashier versus uh the poor but undeserving um you know like robber or whatever you call someone who takes pan of chocolates um that is actually um, a struggle that is quite easy for the media to spin and actually i don't know do we trust do we trust the union movement to actually say we're against the securitization we don't think our workers should be responsible for this yeah. this is at root an issue of systemic inequality or are the trade unions going to say if you want our workers to become cops pay them more and give them body cams i don't know what the answer to that is and i'm quite yeah, worried no, about absolutely. it I'm, yeah. I, I think it, i think it is a worrying thing i think that like i think that one thing that stands out to me is um how much the the workers in those stores will be part of local communities who are suffering and struggling and therefore like the high high likelihood that no matter how the media tries to spin it of course the you know figure of discipline is the worker prisoner so you know as you say like they're gonna try and say there's the deserving poor and the undeserving poor here um the workers and the criminals but like they're um there's such a high likelihood that they're just going to be people who know each other who are, who like there, there's such a high likelihood that like there's going to be workers who will let it happen or even join in uh who will know it's going to happen ahead of time because they're going to be part of the community who are like who are starving the the way i see this kind of thing whenever i hear it and in fact i know of a um building of apartments that actually recently tried to turn their concierges into cops just to like basically give people traffic tickets uh when they were parking on like the road near the building that's like a private road or whatever and i know that the both of the concierges who worked at that building turned around and said we're not doing that even if you pay us more um, and you can't sack us because we've got contracts, et cetera, this, that, and the other. Um, it, that's just one example. But I, I also think that like, the, honestly, the way that I see it is that like, you're, you're right. It, it will be, people will just let people get away with it because the a, they're not getting paid enough and B they will oh, probably I... already feel like a, um, a class traitor by being a security guard. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, like or, or like, sorry, not... be, yeah, exactly. By being securitized as a, as a being securitized. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. But I, but like, I think, I mean, Amar's point is about the trade unions. And I think this is a, uh, yeah. a little while ago on the show, we had an episode, uh, we had, we had, uh, Mildred from Thought Slime on as a guest. It was a little bit of a red planet cringe corner crossover episode. Cause I was telling everyone about, uh, the very cringe guy who invented yellow unions, which are a very cringe thing in gen in general. And, you know, uh, I remember like a bit of our discussion got to the point of like the big unions that are kicking around now, are they uh, yellow unions? And like, you know, the, the simple answer is like none of the big unions are revolutionary unions. So none of them are red unions. Um, and that like is less apparent, I think, to us right now, because 
of the of the framework and and context of 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 like the society we live in at the moment but like this um this question Amar's asking I think you know I think you're asking a, a like a, a dialectical question because like literally like we're gonna see the distinction between red and yellow unions so think- sharply if the question is do you support people who are robbing big Tesco's I think do you know what I, f- I find really interesting about that is that I'm I guess I'm you know I'm I'm a trade unionist for context right like sure. I came into movement spaces or like the hashtag left through lesbians and gay support the migrants and through yeah. union organizing in the pub I was working at in South London and yeah. you know through union organizing in hospitality ever since I'm skeptic, I, you know, and I think trade unions are so necessary, right, as vehicles yeah. for building worker and class power. But mm-hmm. I'm, I am skeptical as an internationalist and an anti-imperialist, at least, of the potential for trade unions to be revolutionary organizations. Because, yeah. like, fundamentally, like, if you are representing the interest of a particular class of people in the global north and the welfare that they are receiving, well, the dividends that they get in comes at the expense of this kind of underclass internally displaced, but also externally through the, the um, you know, through border securitization. That limits already what you're, what is a trade union going to do? Uh, and we see this with some of the trade unions voting down motions, um, you know, that, that have been proposed at like young TUC conferences historically calling for greener climate policies, for example. We've also seen this in terms of, you know, um, what one union at the Young TUC conference, I think it was this year, voting down a motion by another union, TCS, which represents, among others, border guards against a hostile environment. Another union then voted it down. So, like, these things are, I think it's much more, um, maybe it can be more productive to think about the fact that, like, although workers are cohering within trade unions that meanwhile externally recognize as like um, red or yellow potentially, right? Like it's actually where workers who are in unions come into contact with other fronts of struggle, whether that's, you know, like not paying your rent or, um, or whether that's organized big robbing of pan of chocolates from Tesco's, like that's where the kind of like revolutionary ma- magic potentially happens, right? But I think you're right. I think there's going to be, unless we see like a rank and fileist, um you know, surge within trade unions, which I think is happening following the disaffection from, you know, what happened in, in the first strike wave. Um, I think trade union leadership is always going to fall short. What's interesting is the stuff that it's hard to know what's happening unless you're in, in the room, you know, with, with these workers. But I think that's where the kind of interesting stuff happens, because actually at a leadership level, purely on their own terms, in terms of, you know, the capacity for trade unions to be fined loads and loads of money for workers doing radical shit, the leadership is constrained by the need to replicate the trade union and not have it disbanded by by cops, right? That was not actually coherent. I've just realised. Sorry, I don't know where we're at with this. One. No, I, I think it was quite coherent. I, I I could see from like uh, the 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 ADHD wriggle that you got on at what point when I was talking that what it was you were responding to, and you were a little uncomfortable with me saying that like we have no red unions and we that that, that you know you we could broadly call them yellow unions. And you know, I definitely agree. It's like democratized properly properly democratic organized bodies of workers um are going to be red that's just i mean that's just the like that that's the frank reality of like human beings organized in um uh, a group conscious democratic uh body but like uh yeah i mean this is like it is uh it is oh, mule what's that saying you use it's squeaky bum time for the like the uh the the executive committees of these unions because it's like finding out what it means to have like a ceo who has a 
who has a who has a six figure salary for a trade union that's i mean this is us finding out right like this is the like there being high level execs with big salaries at unions is something that emerges out of like a certain amount of comfortable relationship between like Mule was commenting on earlier, right? Comfortable relationship between labor, the labor party and labor, like organized labor. Um, and there being some, some kind of, I don't know, so, some degree of apparatchik moding through it. And then like um, Blair comes in and, 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 and everything is uh, it's time to make as much money as possible. And, you know, they all get, um, doshed up uh and now you know now Starmer's cut like as many ties to unions as possible so what are the unions realizing are the big hurdles between them and like actually getting shit done looks like it's the executive committees it looks like it's the people who are taking big checks uh and making unilateral decisions that should be the workers decisions right yeah and i think you know there are also there are exceptions to this as well. And there are also, you know, caucuses within unions who are constantly fighting. So unions sure. themselves are like, you know, contested political spaces, terrains of struggle. Um, and, you know, we see that in what Sharon Graham is doing, you know, very, and I'm, I'm not a stan. I just think what she's doing is very interesting. So we can see that stuff like that can happen. Um, God damn it, one minute. I was going to make a point and it's just disappearing out of my Don't head. worry, you are on a show with other neurodivergents. Uh, we're all literally neurodivergent and a minor. Um, it's completely fine. We love you. Uh, yeah. Am I valid? So valid. So valid. A, so I cunty. Think we've, um, I think we've gotten <laughs> got to a point about... Um, um, Sorry, I have to announce to the to to the chat that while we've been talking, I've bought some really cunty boots, and I'm really excited about oh, them. I also I also yeah. sent Amara a picture of some horrible boots to try and throw them off their game, but they're too powerful. Um, <laughs> but the um, I was going to say, I think we, you know, I think I think broadly what we're circling around here is that, like, given democratic avenues still exist at all. Um, uh unions can change their own internal policy and constitution in order to like become more red at a, a shockingly rapid rate actually like they're actually quite capable of of becoming more red in response to crisis um yeah very rapidly and that and that is the process of democratization within unions yes and you know also we're, we're seeing with with this you know part of the reason it's important to say i think at the recent tuc trade union Cong- congress conference the reason a lot of unions were making very, um, you know, very small noises or, you know, like tentatively um, or not so tentatively reacting very positively to um, Angela Rayner's, you know, New Deal for Workers, despite what has been taken out about it, is because they know that they are trying to get a consensus across the workers movement for what resisting, um, re- you know, restrictions on the rights to strike is going to look like like that actually is insane is very radical in particular you know for TUC unions to be doing to be thinking that you know when the government tries to introduce a mandatory minimum level of service which means that even if a whole workforce ballots for strike action certain certain nurses you know or certain um is train driver a word train drivers are going to have to like you know maintain that service what it looks like for the union movement as a whole to like resist that is risking mass criminalization. So that's also why, you know, the kind of real politic of some of these unions being quite, you know, appeasing when it comes to Starmer's labor is actually part of that bigger picture of trying to gain worker consensus across unions for resisting the state 
which is quite radical. But returning to what you mentioned earlier, Sophie, about um, I think it was, was it political technology? Was that the term you used? Yeah. Um, and, and what that looks like. So one of the things that Blair did when he came in was introduce a series of individual legal routes by which a worker could supposedly get justice for being mistreated um, while maintaining, um, w- which served to kind of um, discourage collective organizing in the same way that Thatcher had done, right? And I think with Starmer, we have to be really attentive to the rules that are going to be brought in and the laws that are going to be brought in, which, you know, might actually on the surface be pretty good for, for, for workers who are able to access the criminal, the so-called criminal justice system, who are able to, you know, actually work their way through that. But the purpose of that legislation is going to, is to weaken people's collective identification with the trade unions at a time in which that collectivism among workers hasn't been so strong since, you know, the last 30 years, right? And unfortunately, there is ample ground for that because, you know, while the strike wave of, I think it was of, of last year, you know, galvanised people, trade unions have never been so widely reported on, have, you know, trade, trade union gensex haven't been a household name for quite some time and now it's quite common. Um, but on the ground, obviously... What that looks like is a lot of workers actually being pretty, feeling pretty alienated, coming against the limitations of the democratic structures of the trade union, coming against people who have very different politics being in positions of power within workplace union branches and also within, you know, on national execs. So there is also, you know, a whole cohort of people who are quite disaffected by the union structures that they threw a lot of time and energy into and for whom they risked a hell of a lot and lost a lot of payment, right? Those people who feel betrayed by union leaderships or by union bureaucracy, actually, yes, when it comes to in the future in, in a style of government trying to seek redress for wrongs at work, maybe it's going to be a lot more tempting to go through an individual legal route than trying to organise, you know, as a collective, given experiences that many of them will have had. I'm hopeful that won't happen because obviously this has also been a highly politicising moment for a lot of people. Um, but people are going to get burnt out by the struggle, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. I, I, um, I'm not sure how much, uh, how much we can do or say in this, in this moment in discussion, like about, uh, about like Starmer's government and what they're going to do. I think that maybe it's useful for us to talk about, um, unions as they relate to, uh, organizing and protests, since this is just like what we have more, um, control over, right? So like to, to take the, to take the uh, robbing Pano Chocola, um, uh unions condemn or support um, uh, question a little further. Like, uh, I think we could we could ask the even more dedicated question: Like, will unions actually like? Like, I think anti-fascist demos would be over like that if big unions were willing to like put a delegation towards like actually you know being anti-fascist like we're willing to actually say like we're an anti-fascist union and if a bunch of actually saluting nazis or the people they support like like posey parker are going to try and organize and be you know in in, like doing public rallies we're not okay with that and we're gonna we're gonna lend um you know as many people as (laughs) willing to step forward like um uh, to the anti-fascist side like that's you know that's something i think about quite often is like the organized and easily mobilized like might of trade unions in the uk uh 
is there. It's very powerful when you see, you know, something as specific as like the the doctors marching or whatever. You know, it takes up some of the biggest streets in London and shuts down traffic across the entire city. Um, if the RMT, for instance, were just like we're an anti-fascist union and we're going to send people, you know, to uh, to support, like to to tell Posey Parker to fuck off. It's not just that, like that would be huge numbers on the ground, but it, it's like in a in the political arena, like um, stating publicly that like we are against fascists. I think is like very meaningful because like fascists, they're cowards, and like if public if institutions uh, take anti-fascist positions, it's very meaningful to getting them to just like not even try. Yeah, I think. Well, there's so much in that. I mean, obviously, you know, we should probably note that the RMT historically has a long history of actually being well down for the anti-fascist fight, right? Um, but what's happened... Oh, it's in... like I picked them for a reason. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, what uh, if Unite was anti-fascist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the, the terrain of like anti-fascism has changed in some ways, loads in the last decade or so, right? Um, and actually what has been happening is there's, there's been very successful caucusing um, in in many trade unions by women who would describe themselves as gender critical, right? By transphobes. So actually that, you know, in, in terms of the, the policies and the statements that come out of a trade union that are informed by trade union national conferences, for example, like actually there, ha- there has been a lot of organizing on the other side, around that um it's also important to note probably that outside of the cities i think in britain trade unions still actually do you know what sophie was talking about like in the southwest when there have been you know so many um anti-migrant demos by patriotic alternative and by other like fascist groups the resistance to that you know in in more isolated parts of the country rural areas has come from strange as it sounds, like um, uh, local TUC branches, right? Um, Or what's the term? They're not core branches. Anyway, something. So like, for example, Bridgewater is a place. It will have its own, like, uh, trade union council, right? It is them lot who are cohering the kind of scattered anti-fascist left from around the Southwest and doing buses to, like, get them to go and do anti-fascism. Part of the problem there is you know infrastructural though like how consistently can a trade union or a group of trade unions do that locally probably not that consistently because the infrastructure down there in terms of trains and, and stuff is is much much lower but the the other part of it, i think is that often trade unions will see themselves as as doing this as, as providing this support but often it happens through existing caucuses socialist workers party is massive in in most of the main main trade unions in this country, so when you see SWP people at anti-fascist demos, often like that is not an, that is not an insignificant amount of like your local active trade unionists. That is the um, that is the structure through which they tend to organise. Um, I still think it's true that like statements at a top level from unions, you know, putting more resources towards that would be really really important. Obviously, then you get to the point where. Um, how much of your energy do you spend, you know, in internal union politics in the same way, how much energy um, should I have put into my local Labour Party back when I was BAME officer for Peckham (laughs) Labour Party? Um, 
it then becomes a, a question of, of, of where you direct your energies, I suppose. Well, I mean, that's a, like, um, that's, I think, like, what one place where we can see really clear differences between, like, um, media institutions, um, or, like, governmental institutions, even party politics and trade unions. Because, again, and, like, I'm going to keep bringing it back to this, it's the question is democratization. Because, like, if on the broad level, you've got people who are not class conscious, they are not group conscious, they are not politically activated, um, but they still understand that they should vote, right? You're describing like a lot of the Labour Party membership, right? And then it's like, who who then gets a say in who is a part of Labour? Like, it's not like the Labour Party membership gets a huge say in who's the, who's the um, what is it, NEC of Labour, right? Um, so if it suddenly fills up with TERFs, it's like, well, we can we can tell everyone to with a blue in the face that TERFs are the 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 tip of a fascist spear, they're the entrance to an a far right pipeline, and that they're going to lead any political organization that they're a part of towards being out and out actual literal, I'm not fucking kidding, Nazis. But like if the that if that body, whatever it is, is not democratized, if it's just a media company, if it's the BBC, if it's if it's Channel 4, if it's the Labour Party, then then even if people heard you and believed you, right? Like, where's the resistance to that? Whereas in a very real sense in the trade union um, milieu and in, in the in the arena and sphere of the, of the unions, like, if you tell people like, hey, that like, she's, she's saying like, um, I'm a woman who's concerned about women and I have these legitimate concerns and I'm just gender critical of gender ideology that's harming children. Um, she's saying all that stuff, but in fact, she's just a fascist and she's just going to bring more and more fascists in. Again, people could literally not believe you, but like two steps forward is the point at which like she's going she's gonna to hit a complete wall, right? And that wall is like trying to bring more fascists in. Because you because you've got a body of people who are class conscious and are organized and are democratized. And at that point, like the bit where the turfs would then start roping in their Tommy Robinson lot, it's like they're gonna hit a bunch of people who who can tell those people are fascists and have a say in it. Yeah. And they're gonna um, say no. Yeah, fully. I mean a kind of personal experience around this. So in twenty nineteen, I am I went to the Bakers Union National Conference. I'm not a baker, but like that's one of the unions you can join if you're doing hospitality work, right? Um, and me and a bunch of other young comrades there um, put a motion together um, on basically, you know, supporting trans rights, supporting queer people, rejecting this wave of like transphobia and homophobia that was, you know, very much like in, in the midst of things in 2019, Unlike today, uh, joking. And also, you know, it had a suggestion in there that where possible, um, you know, some of the union um, procedures were amended so that instead of, uh, instead of standing up in conference and calling people brother or sister, you could call them comrade, which is gender neutral. Do you know what I mean? And um, saying this to, like, the Bakers Union is an incredible union, right? It's small, it's militant, um, and conference was comrade um, is what i call all my partners just to avoid any confusion same <laughs> yeah um and you know we, we we put this motion forward in, in in front of a room of hundreds of generally older and generally white 
uh, trade unionists, most of them, you know, who'd come from like the Hovis factories, for example, passed unanimously. Right. And that was maybe a scenario in which I had been led to believe that actually, like, maybe the older white working class might actually have a problem with this. And literally none of them cared. They were like, yeah, comrade, sure. Like, whatever. Do you need any? And then afterwards, people came up to me like, what are your pronouns? Um, very, very sweet behavior. Right. Um, yeah. That's just a nice story for once because I don't have many of those, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I made a point like this in Conspiracy on the Left. I was like, if you've got people who will have a complete shit pants tantrum and storm out if you do a pronoun circle you can't organize with those people they're simply too sensitive and fragile like they're not they're not people you can call a comrade and if you try and sneak in any kind of like anti-trans um i I shudder to even call it communism because it's just like you're not a communist if you're anti-trans you're not a communist if you're a misogynist like you're just not um actually opposing the systems that make the world shit right now yeah. uh, fundamentally don't like... understand Mar- marxist literature if you haven't no you know, exactly like reproductive labor yeah yeah to, speaking to, of which... like engels wrote about it so much and then like also like just 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 the like communist comes from the paris commune to each according their need from each according their ability and you are just like you are just defying that basic logic if you don't like support women and, and and queer people and trans people and people of all racialized groups and like or and on and on and on. Sorry, sorry. I just it just really pisses me off. No, completely. And I was gonna do what is obviously a really bad decision and do a little call out because we love cancel culture, um, which is a shout out to the working class movement library, which does like really, really incredible work, like cataloging ongoing and historic resistance. Um but recently put out a correction after someone in the organization had endorsed a workshop on transphobia and how to fight it. And in no uncertain terms, they put out a correction saying they didn't endorse it and they were an inclusive organization. There is a petition um, where some comrades involved in the working class movement library and some comrades from RS21, which is the organization that was running the workshop, want people to sign it to be like, actually, not very working class movement of you to be inclusive of transphobes. Um, I would encourage people to just Google that and fill it out. Yeah, I think that sounds yeah, pretty sounds good. Yeah. Um, and that's the other side of democratization as well, is like if an organization like that carries through the like being inclusive of transphobes, like um, people will know that they got stank pussy and they should be avoided. Like they're, they're, they're a bunch, they're like, they're, they're cringe. And like, it's an organization that will like just wither and die. Like this is the eternal curse of transphobia. Like you get Glynna brain, your, your, your wife leaves you. Uh, they like, you, you never see your kids again and you're having your microwave carbonara for one. And then on the institutional level, it's just like, you will watch your institution wither and die. If you let turfs into the main, into, into anything really, honestly. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's it's particularly sad because the, the Working Class Movement Library does so much incredible stuff. The staff are amazing. The volunteers will really be fucking amazing. This isn't coming from the actual body of the institution, right? Yeah, it's a, a similar thing that happened with the People's History Museum here in Manchester. They actually hosted um, Helen Joyce and another transphobe uh, a week ago. Um, I don't know what the outcome of the resistance to that was. It was very early. Um, a lot of the, and listen, I say this with the biggest of respect and love. Uh, a lot of my comrade crusties here in Manchester, they're not that good at getting up in early in the morning. So we'll see, uh, how that actually went and how that moves forward. But yeah, like it's just, it's, it's just the whole, um, you know, sort of like, 
I just think it's people being like not lazy in the traditional like uh, way that capitalists call uh, you know workers lazy. It's more lazy in the in the way that like oh we've done our reading. We know what revolution is. We know what solidarity is. We don't need to learn more about inclusivity and all that. We know everything. There's nothing new to learn. Um, and I think they just uh, yeah they're just not not read up on like why these institutions are bad. Um, unless, unless they are being told why these, why these people are bad, uh, and they're not listening, in which case that's a completely different, uh, matter and they should be, uh, destroyed in the most legal way possible. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, destroyed in the marketplace of debate and kind, nice words. That's right. That's what you do. You engage in, um, uh, what do they call it? Polite politics, uh, <laughs> respectability, respectability politics. politics <laughs> yeah. No pan of chocolates for transphobes. It's, it's true. It's true. The only pan they should receive is a pan au merde. We are an international show and everybody should know what that means. Uh, so I'm not going to translate. I'm not going to translate. You should, you need to learn what that is. For our French comrades in the Zad, think of our French comrades in the Zad. I'm never not thinking think of our them. French comrades in the Zad. I just I wake up thinking real, about them. Real talk, though. I miss the Zad so much. Please let me go back. We'll go back. We'll go back together this time, babe. I got my passport now. So all right, I'm not coming back again after. Yes, we'll I'm go just getting forever. to the Zad and staying. We'll go in there what? to retire. What happened to Sophie? She went to a Zad upstate. She's she's <laughs> she's happy now. <laughs> So, um, Amar, um, I think that, like, I think we have, we have, like, a general context that we operate from in the show, um, kind of a premise that, like, you know, shit's falling apart, capitalism has failed, communism is coming, we're, we're here talking about how we get there. And I think, like, our discussion of trade unionism so far, um, and how it relates to protest, um, I think one way we could, like, frame the discussion for the last bit before the q and I think it would be productive is, like, do we think that, like, organized institutions like the trade unions like are going to encounter um are going to encounter some kind of like similar crumbling points to the way that like governmental and public institutions will do under climate change in general because like this is the this is the thing like uh, capitalism is going to make capitalism inoperable through climate change in a number of years from now that means all sorts of institutions like let's just say the whole UK government is going to be pretty inoperable and, and dissolve into some kind of horrific mess. What would that be like? One wonders. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. Imagine if the UK government was a mess. No, but like, but you know, the, like the actual like dissolution of these kinds of things is a question we need to examine and, and like the balkanization into little whatevers uh, and, and any number of ways that it can break down. Um, I'm curious about like the institutional organized labor of this country, because like, um, one thing we might see is like mass um mass industrial collapses right and that will surely affect uh the unions because like one big uh you could say flaw if you were me saying these words right now flaw of of workerism is like the the under acknowledgement of the unemployed worker and like yeah so i mean if there is um industrial collapse that sees massive numbers of people in britain unemployed like this will have a, a a kneecapping effect on the unions too. Really, really interesting question. I guess I guess the first thing to acknowledge is that there's already been the the RAAC 
union scandal that was Thatcherism, right? Like already the union movement has collapsed. What we what, what we have is you know people trying to shore it up, right? Stop it crumbling completely. Um, and I think that's you know the fear of that what happened to the coal miners could be what happens to the British steel workers, for example. Um, and uh, North Sea oil workers. The f- that is part of the reason why actually loads of trade unions um, and lots of think tanks that work for trade unions are putting a hell of a lot of resources and energy towards campaigning internally towards a just transition as a framework, right? Um, there's a reason that loads of climate organisers have gone into the trade, un- trade union spaces. There's a reason that loads of, you know, um, trade unionists have gone into climate spaces. Um, and actually that work of, of trying to figure out what a just transition might look like is happening. Now, I, I'm not someone who thinks that if we get a just transition for British steel, then actually everything will be fine. <laughs> like at a planetary level, shit is fucked, right? But there, there will come a point at which actually, oh, sorry, one thing I do want to also recognise is that there, all, there do exist spaces within the union movement for unemployed work, for unemployed people. Um, Unite Community is one example of this. Those spaces do exist. How much they're mobilised, how important they're seen as being, that's that's a kind of different matter, I suppose. Um, as industries collapse, because that is going to happen, we might we might hopefully get the growth of like different industries, of like green industries, for example, right? And those green industries, by the way, could be still very extractive and imperialistic, right? And relying on like lithium mines in South America, for example. Um, but also, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. There can maybe be some nice things. Some nice things are also possible. Now, whether or not the trade union movement as a whole is going to be um, is going to be in a position at the point at which climate collapse reaches Britain in a way that is very recognisable um, is a difficult question. I suppose that probably there will, there will come a point at which that the existence of the waged worker who you know, is able to be a member of a trade union and has guaranteed benefits. Here we fucking go. Yeah, right? Like, that That will probably, at some point, that will quite possibly cease to exist. All you will be left with is, like, a massive, it, it won't be a reserve pool of labour. Like, that will just be all of us. And it'll be like it was in the old, bad old days. Um, now, at that point, yeah, probably the trade unions, as we currently understand them, aren't, gonna be functional but whatever will be whatever will be necessary to cohere um a political body or consciousness out of like an underclass that becomes the mainstream right that will come out of the workers movement it will it will come out of you know the wreckage of other institutions it might come out of the wreckage of like what remains of a left labor project as much as out of you know a left workers movement as much as out of you know a climate movement that has been mass criminalized like out of all of these things there are new constituencies being forged there are new political horizons being determined um and so that's i guess it's not really an optimistic thing but i guess my answer is yeah there will come a point i believe because of climate collapse at which the trade unions will not be able to even do what they currently do but whatever can do good shit is going to come out of that decline i suppose well so if we're if we're imagining a point where they like like in the same way that we can imagine uh them taking proactive steps towards democratization towards uh involvement in climate justice like what like could we imagine them like what steps can we imagine them taking towards like that transition to what is after that like what 
you know, I, I just think that it's, it's really, yeah. Like I, I think that like going on pretending that we're, that, that shit is not going to fall apart or it's not already falling apart is just getting us like the net naturally the like the worst possible outcome. So I think that like, what could we be aiming for here? But I think, so I, I think this is the kind of not funny thing, but the tricky thing about it, right? It's exactly that acknowledgement that leads trade unions to actually throw a lot of weight behind lobbying the Labour Party and the Labour government, right? Like the scale of change that needs to happen. Mm. Um, it involves, you know, transnational supply chains and like pipelines and all of that shit, which needs, which I believe at least in the short term, needs states to need to renegotiate what the fuck's going on at a global level, which means that you need to have some way of influencing the government of the state in which you are participating in worker struggle. And that brings us back to the fucking Labour Party, right? And we've already talked about the limitations of that. And it's such a catch 22. Well, it's, it's just like the limitation of that is the is that the state exists to mediate class tensions in favor of the ruling class un- unless and until it's overthrown by a dictatorship of the proletariat. So it's just like that the that like lobbying the Labour Party as it exists is I don't know if that's like Yeah, I just don't know if that's even if I if I can imagine something that is fairly described as that as part of this solution i think that like i think that like organizing mass general strike to force labor's hand is a very different thing oh so i so i i agree i don't actually think to be clear this is the solution but i think that's the logic <laughs> sure. behind it right right okay. um but also you know that there, there are reasons why a mass general strike in this country hasn't hasn't happened in part that is it's just sort of illegal right i think it's going to require i i, I think those forms of militant action can happen right i think that what will be a big test is if the government actually does try to start prosecuting unions and trade unionists for not maintaining minimum services we might actually see a shift back to trade unions acting collectively and willing to break the law to do so if that happens then what a trade union is or can be for that will shift again in popular consciousness right and actually under those conditions it's possible um that the trade unions are able to be incubators or supporters for increasingly militant direct action, not necessarily through the trade unions, but I can imagine a scenario, you know, potentially where trade unions who do get loads of fucking money are able to productively lose some of those resources so that some absolute mad cunts and balaclavas can go and fuck some shit up, right? Like, that's what I would love to see within the trade union if it wasn't illegal, because obviously I respect the law. Uh, now. Law is the arbiter of all morality, and we it don't in- encourage anyone to do anything that would be morally wrong, like That's breaking right. the law. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. No. I mean, good answer. I'm. Uh, yeah. Fair. Fair enough. Aston but, I mean, thanks. I guess one <laughs> addendum to that. I think what's going to be the trickiest thing is actually trying to stop trade unions from basically predicating all of the stuff that they're going to be campaigning for, or but even the militant shit they might be supporting is going mm. to be quite hard. to once you know so many people are going to need to move right so many people are going to be migrating the securitization of the border is happening at an alarming rate it has happened already um i'm really worried as to you know in what we currently call you know potentially an apocalyptic situation but also check out sophie's recent content pretty good on that shit um In that kind of a context, I, I don't know, I would love to believe the union movement wouldn't be accepting that we should um, increasingly securitize the border in order to get benefits for, for, for workers in Britain. 
experience tells me that actually we can't really rely on that though right yeah well i mean this is a this is an example where we see like trade unionism running against the interests of the working class because like the uh this is where like internationalism will fall down with trade unionism because we are in, we are within what uh lenin called the labor aristocracy we we benefit from imperialism while still being the working class and so like and so, like, for example, um, trade unions, if it were a serious thing that were being proposed, would absolutely support UBI. And that would be a devastating move for the like the, the progress of the working class under like climate collapsing late stage capitalism. It would be it would be absolutely catastrophic in terms of like paralyzing people, holding them in place and trying to supp- suppress class consciousness. Uh, even while it would provide like a short-term boon to people's like material conditions and ability to survive through the collapsing supply chains, it would still like absolutely fuck our ability to like uh, get rid of the people who are making this happen and stop the thing from happening to us. <laughs> and trade unions will definitely support UBI. Any 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 move towards UBI. Um, not saying that the like the UK government is going to actually propose UBI because that's that would that would that would uh you know that's a, a move to give um poor people free money uh, and I think when you say those words out loud in the in in the UK um yeah I think they've just dispatched uh, several squad cars to my house right now <laughs> um I said I said the the bad words that aren't allowed um but yeah uh I, we have a, a bunch of audience questions actually. Uh, they have they've been they've been good and they've been asking a bunch of questions since we pro- provoked them to so uh Kira, do you want to read us some yes i would um okay first question is from um gwen from the witches um question how do you see us working through and preventing competition between orgs my union competes with a number of similar unions who also do great work and i want to try to reduce that this is a really interesting question um I've got experience of this, right? So as a as a worker organizer um in South London, um I quit hospitality like two months ago, so I can't claim that authentic working class credit anymore, guys. Um reverting back to previous childhood class position RIP. But um we joined the Bakers Union just because it, you know, it was the one that someone said we should join. If you're in hospitality, you can also join Unite, IWW, IWGB, UVW. Um, but what we are experienced having gone on Wildcat Strike Action, won the demands of our Wildcat Strike, um, and then kind of negotiating union bureaucracy, trying to figure out whether we should be, you know, trying to fight for contract terms first or union recognition first, how that shit worked. We wasted a lot of time. And, and by the end of it, we realized that as workers who had done this shit, who'd gone on strike, who were in struggle, we actually knew the context of our local workplace and our local area, you know, better than anyone else. And it was incredible to have the union support and you need union support. But the actual work of doing that, the actual work of organizing isn't something that we can like alienate, if you like, even to an, an, an overworked and underpaid trade union organiser, because that's what most trade union organisers who are on the ground and not in an office are. They are exploited, right? What we ended up doing was we we, we set up um, a network called South London Bartenders Network. Um, and you didn't have to be a union member to join. You didn't have to pay anything to join, literally just a WhatsApp group. Um, and we started it in the pandemic. We just started meeting regularly on Zoom calls to talk to each other about work. And we did what we kind of jokingly called guerrilla unionism, which was that if anyone in the network 
knew someone who was having issues at work, we would just like totally lie and be like, yeah, sure, they're in my union. And also I am definitely an accredited shop steward of this union. And we would go and rep them where we'd say, we'd taught each other employment law and we'd go and face off against the employers. And we'd say, listen, here's a maximum penalty we can get from you in court. You know, as a, as, as a pub in a, in a COVID economy, do you reckon you can afford to pay that? Because if not, you can solve this quite easily right now. Otherwise you'll be hearing from union lawyers. There were no union lawyers. There was no union half the time. But this form of organizing meant that when people came into the network... That, if you're falling in love with a ma, do not worry. That is only natural. <laughs> um, in What that meant was that we were bringing people into the workers' movement. So when they came to the unions or to us going through a problem, we took their ongoing disputes when the unions wouldn't. After the, after we'd like helped them along, they then joined a trade union. Um, and... We said to, we listed all of the unions they could join and we told them what we thought were the benefits and the pitfalls of all of the unions. But what held us as a very transient workforce, you know, bartenders leave, leave jobs or get fired very frequently. But where do they go? Other bars. So we started having this like autonomous structure of people within South London, where at one point we had like 50, 60 active bartender trade unionists just in South London across five different trade unions and none, right? So I guess what I would say is, if you can cohere locally, start off with socials, right? Start off with like, get get some money from your local trades council or from your union branch or do a fundraiser, buy cheap beer, buy cheap food, do it in a community hall that you can pull a favour from. I'm sure someone in the union movement here, you know, is a labour councillor, right? Do use a church hall, whatever. Do a social, get a reputation of being a place where people good, good politics can get pissed and also get good food you can start building those interrelated worker solidarities that can eventually counteract the power of the union bureaucrats when you are in a place of struggle. Um, Yeah, that would be my advice. I do also want to say um, how vindicated I'm feeling right now in previously saying, not just in this, on this show, but again and again and again on my stream, it is just as simple as starting a WhatsApp group. Literally, it's just that simple. And uh, Amar <laughs> has fucking confirmed it. Anyway, thank you. Um, I will read the next question. Uh, it's from Shafiq Mog. Uh, and they say, how do you think the confluence of queerness and race affects your activism? Ooh. Queerness as a compliment is a really nice idea. Um, I think... That okay. So in terms of race, so how does it affect my activism? I guess firstly, how it affected my like political consciousness, I suppose, is that like as someone who grew up in a family that very soon after I was born became firmly middle class, right? Uh moved out of Hounslow, kind of made it, right? Sikh family, model minority, the whole thing. Um but I was also growing up in a post-9-11 context. And by the time we left London, I was going to a very white school. So racialization, experiencing what it meant to grow up post-9-11, that massively made me distrustful of the state, right? Uh, particularly with the Iraq war. Like, all of my extended family were like, I mean, they'd grown up under Thatcher. Half of them are landlords now. But even they were like, you know, obviously, you can't trust the West. This is about oil. There was some level of consciousness, um that was there and in particular growing up and being told listen it doesn't matter what you say like the, you, you will never really belong here and at the time I thought that was just kind of like you know quite sad because I was part of that British Asian generation where we were no I'm British and I'm Asian obviously I, I'm not either fuck it um but so that racialization kind of I guess 
is what first gave, gave me those politics. And then queerness, my relationship with that, we won't go into it too much, but it affected my class position. And that gave me like actual class politics, right? So I think that's how it's affected my, my personal politics. In terms of my activism, though, um, I think that there are... I think that probably the most useful thing about it has been being able to use my positionality as a queer, gender queer person of colour to try to actually shout down identitarianism, to actually try to pu- pull back towards, um, you know, a politics that is, um, that is materialist, right? Um, and a conception of, 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 of racism and queerness as kind of processes and things that can be claimed as part of a political coalition. I guess those are arguments you can only really make in this context if you are someone with particular experiences. Now, I guess my kind of activism, activism, I hate that word, but when it comes to provision work, when it comes to turning up, um, outside hotels with asylum seekers, when it comes to, um, feeding each other, clothing each other, doing kind of like hyper-local community work. A lot of that is massively informed by being queer and needing to find community, right? Or like found family, as we used to call it back in, I don't know, 2016. Um, I think that's probably been the biggest part of it, like realising that like at its best, queerness can be a force for transforming social relations and a sense of possibility that gives you. It's that. I guess the flip side of it is that as a fan brown person, I was arrested and none of the white people around me were. So, yeah. So would you say it's a pretty radicalizing experience then? I think it can be. I don't don't think it's inherently. I think it can be. No, I was just, I was just talking about like the the final point there, you know. Oh, the fight. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Not the Uh. whole, not the whole thing you said. Yeah. Just, you know, the fact that you were singled out, you know, it could be pretty radicalizing. I mean, I like my personal feeling and I'm not like, I'm, uh, I, yeah. Like my, my personal opinion is like, Amar has a lot of protests and, and, and is probably like, notable to the cops and like they were it, like that it it's uh very obvious them using the the powers to target a queer a, you know like there's a queer brown protester grab them but also like i do think there's an element of uh the police knowing who is a regular and trying to stop people who are regulars at protests from being at more protests 100 uh, percent. i think that's really true and i think that like you know it's not that i stood out you know in a vacuum from other white comrades who had been at like, you know, lots of protests. It's also that like our organizing spaces are very white and it's kind of important to do something like that, you know? Um, yeah. Maybe next time it'll be 50, 50, whether it's me and the other Brown fan person, you know? <laughs> um, right. Uh, Risk inverse has asked what can Western countries, sorry, what, what can Western organizers learn from efforts around the world against the neoliberal food economy from countries like India as an example, I think they're referring to the uh, the farmers strikes in India, and there were also very large protests about uh, food and uh, fuel costs uh, in about about this time last year. Yeah, um, I think probably the, the probably the first thing that we can learn is that actually um, the agents of genuinely revolutionary change um, are likely to be people in the global south, right? And as a result of that revolutionary change, our quality of life is likely to suffer. And that is what it means to be an internationalist, is to recognise that, you know, um, a lot of the benefits that we have here are ultimately founded on the wages of whiteness, notwithstanding some of us... Oh, can I, can I interject in. on this one? This is just, this is maybe semantic, but I do just, I do like quite firmly believe that um, 
with our own revolutionary change within the imperial court, our quality of life, life specifically, does not really have to change very much. Um, it's our standard of living. It's our like it's it's the particulars of what we get and how we get it. But like, um, you know, the the like quality of of being alive, like, um, I think would be much better if we could like go go out to the woods and chill out with our friends and eat some funny mushrooms or whatever, uh, <laughs> as opposed to like working a uh, hundred hours a week for a fintech startup in Canary Wharf. I'm really, really grateful to you for that correction. That's completely and utterly correct. And I don't think it is just semantics, actually. I think it conveys a particular politics. So thank you for that. Um, but I guess in t- more, more practically, um, with the Kisan and all, and with the farmers movement in India, like what we saw was um, a mass trade union movement um, occupying the highways for you know one and a half years, which is completely, absolutely mental. Um they were able to do that because of the Sikh practice of langar, which is basically a communal food provision that happens in Gurdwara, in Sikh temples and other religious spaces in India. So the care work that I was talking about, you know, near the beginning of the show, they were able to do a one and a half year occupation of the highways precisely because they had the food infrastructure to enable them to do that. We don't have, you know, like, I think there are amazing stories of when Occupy happens in London of like the food infrastructure that was kind of created to enable that occupation to happen. Um, and it's quite striking to me that, you know, we're approaching times in which, you know, we're, we're talking about longer term militant direct actions and occupations. Um, still don't necessarily have the, that kind of infrastructure or, or philosophy, um, you know, to, to enable the, the groundwork to enable some of those kind of things. I guess, I guess, the, yeah, the other thing that we can learn is that the Kisan and Dolin, the farmers' protest in particular, actually involved a massive rejection of electoral politics broadly. It wasn't pushed forward by any political party. Um, it wasn't. It, it was pushed forward by the trade unions, but the, but the trade unions themselves were pushed by the grassroots, and that happened in reaction to the fact that in previous years, when the trade union movement had been a big part of unseating the previous coalition BJP right wing neoliberal government, that hadn't you know. That was repaid in kind in some sense by uh, by the Congress government that came in after. But it was still predicated on the effectively um, kind of neoliberal um, logics of the Green Revolution. Uh, this is getting hyper specific into global South agricultural policy. But basically, yeah, um, if you do a liberalism and you fail to deliver and it leads to a fascism, people will then actually take increasingly radical direct action and turn away from electoral politics and start prefiguring different um, different ways of being through that, right? Um, at the same time, important to not fetishize too much is probably really important, right? Yes, the Kisan and Dolan specifically, and I'm talking about this because I know about it more, you know, brought together Hindus and Muslims and Christians. It brought together Sikhs. It brought together people of different castes. But some of the states that were involved in the protests voted the BJP back into government after the success of the Kisan and Dolan because they were convinced that actually it was still better to side with upper caste Hindus than it was to side with Dalit Muslims. The One of the major leaders of the Kisan and Dolan movement, Rikesh um, Dikad, he was implicated in anti-Muslim riots in 2013 in Muzaffar And yet this man is, you know, he was the one who led the charge to basically save the protest when they were facing robber bullets and, and literal cages. So yeah, it's complex. Basically, a lot to learn tactically. Probably the most useful to take from it is 
to think about how we can build infrastructures of provision that we can roll out in um, antagonistic situations, I guess. I think it's fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of like, we, 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 we are aware of like a strike fund, but we could be doing a lot, lot better than that. Uh, and just infrastructure that supports a strike in the long run. Kira, next question. Yeah, uh, it's from Cat Girl Steph. Um, is that a sports ball jersey? And would you like a moment to talk about sports if that's a thing you enjoy? This is so, so sweet. Um, I don't know. I basically don't do sports. Like that's a that's a thing that I just don't do at all. But uh, my mate Louis, who used to work at the pub with me, makes these kind of, I think it's like a hockey jersey kind of thing. And I was like, oh, it's a pig with a gun. That's obviously about the police, right? And he was like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. So then he made me one and it says like, 1312 on the back. I don't know what numbers mean. Oh, that fucks so hard. I love it. It, It's my favorite number. It's literally just my favorite. What a coincidence. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I I love that you probably love sports. I think that's cool and you are valid, you know? I think that Steph noticed that it wasn't a sports ball jersey because uh kira failed to mention the 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 prefix to that question which is question not political in parentheses <laughs> i think that was an attempt at sarcasm i'm not sure steph can you confirm in the chat immediately uh but the next question is from yoka mountain johnny and they say uh question building a revolutionary or social movement union seems like a zero-sum situation to most union members such as a, a tr- such a transition would appear to inhibit the union's ability to defend the economic or working conditions of its members what do you think a good conversational counter to this mindset might be Ooh. yeah it's big that's a big one good question. that's good. a big yeah, brain question a good, a good conversational counter um can i hear that one again absolutely i want to try in different words for a second it's the short-term aims of trade unionism improving workers conditions in this economy are counter to the long-term aims of building revolutionary projects so that we have better conditions in a different economy so if some people are 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 wedded to this economy because they don't um understand that what would we say to them i guess what we would say is that you know on its own terms this the, the status quo, you know, by which there is a there is a bargain to be made, right? Um, between a, a, a kind of resurged work of movement and the forces of capital, like, is very unstable and is already on its own terms kind of in the process of collapse. And we see this with, you know, the cost of living crisis supposedly now on its, what, second year running? That That's not, that's not a crisis. That's like the new normal, right? Like, um, on its own terms, like, even even, you know, as things currently are, without a more radical movement-based um, kind of trade union ecology, um, can the person you're talking to get a visit? Can, can, they, can they get a doctor's appointment at the moment? Can they actually, like, you know, provide for themselves or, or their families? Like, are they actually still, are they still paying like, over half of their income towards rent so someone can sit on an asset? Um, and I guess linking that to... Um, linking that to the bargain that was made when Blair was brought in, um, which is to continue the kind of Thatcherite consensus on 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 trade unions and what that has meant for us now. I guess maybe a conversation starter for someone who's, you know, a, a died in the wall old school trade unionist would be like, you know, we don't look too kindly on the bargains that were made during the Blair years. Like, do you want to be part of the trade union movement that tries to make those same bargains now? Or do you want to be, you know, the the movement that still uh 
there's still sites the toll puddle martyrs as you know part of its kind of political tradition like I don't know. Trade unionists, we love a story. We love a great arc of history. Hit us with that. Yeah, absolutely. Tra- like try- trying to perpetuate, uh, to, to perpetuate senile capitalism through the crisis that's killing itself is not what like the, 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 the Blair Mountain miners uh, fought and died for. Um, right. Let's do another one. Let's do an entirely another one. Alex all over the place says how and what would be the best way for comrades around the world to connect and provide solidarity. For instance, housing advocates in France, UK and America sharing ideas. This is where I think, you know, the the big institutions that, you know, we're rightly so critical of actually have a little bit of a role to play. Like, I think it's no accident, right, that like the academy and like the universities and the conferences and the paid hotel rooms and shit they they were able to do work. Those resources were a big part of like um, bringing, cohering the literature around abolitionism um and through that it reached a lot more people right and I, I think a similar thing is true you can kind of piggyback a little bit off the various I mean to be honest the union movement is probably the the most well positioned to do some of this there are various like NGOs and stuff you know and obviously NGOization of the left bad unfortunately they're the people with the resources um so yeah that's the kind of thing I'd say uh then there's, you know, there are also still some projects here that like are attempting to like bring comrades over to meet and stuff. Um, I'm probably not the best place to talk about that though. I think just because I haven't done it. <clears throat> okay, fair enough. Kira, do you want to ask the next one? Sure. Uh, this is from Ashrand. Uh, They say, as a very disabled and housebound person, I get that there are a really limited number of ways I can contribute to supporting my comrades. Is there something you wish people were doing more in general? I think it's 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 so specific to your kind of to your local context, right? In your local area, like um, in in certain environments, it's like you know why are people not helping with food, or it's like why are people not volunteering to facilitate a meeting, or like um, or it's even you know why why are people not making things more accessible so that people you know that um are disabled and do have other barriers to access to like political engagement aren't isolated and aren't alienated and can still continue to like engage and take part like um it's just you know it's so completely the case that there is loads and loads of stuff to do that is not the kind of like sparky frontline shit like actually like that is a kind of like tip of the iceberg of what actually matters right like it's all of the all of the other stuff that happens it's anything that counteracts alienation anything that helps bring people together and and see, and see one another as kind of you know revolutionary agents and comrades and friends like that that shit is what actually matters um in terms of anything specific i don't know but i guess you know follow your heart in it very materialist answer, fully hot. Um, absolutely. Uh, Nat has asked a question for Omar. Um, looking forward to the consequences of climate. Sorry, uh, let me just. I, <laughs> I realize there's an intonation problem in this question. Uh, text does not communicate tone well, so let's try that one again. I think what she meant, what she meant was looking forward to the consequences of climate change. It's hard to imagine the British government moving away from its current trajectory of an increasingly fascist approach to refugees, moving them between various configurations of concentration camps, regardless of party. What do you think we need to be able to do more than block some of the most evil actions? IMO, it requires the working class seizing land in an organized way. 
So I back that, but I think there are intermediary steps that are going to be necessary, right? Um, I want to be a bit careful here, but okay. Let's think about the term. Let's think about the term people trafficker, right? So or people smuggler, which is very very common. This, this is another uh, political technology that Sophie was talking about earlier, right? Like suddenly the people smuggler or the people trafficker is like a, a folk demon, if you like. Yeah, right? I mean. Starmer saying that he wants to treat them like terrorists who are attacking the nation, right? Yeah, yeah, literally. Um, criminal gangs, like these are all legalistic categories, right? Like I'm not saying that people that are getting people over here in small go- boats are good people. But what I'm saying is that like a lot of them are themselves people who have been victims and survivors of bordered violence and are making money because other refugees have been made vulnerable by those systems. Now, those people traffickers and people smugglers using that term those terms um are the only ways that a lot of asylum seekers or migrants can reach these shores and those are very exploitative conditions it involves like horrendous violence in lots of cases right i'm not saying these are good people by any stretch hypothetically what would an alternative version of that look like that was not extractive and exploitative what it would look like would be a conspiracy to commit quite a big crime right like let's be real about that but actually we're talking about building infrastructures that we shouldn't really be talking about on this call to be honest but like in your area you need have a thing you know what are the assets that collectively you can very quietly get under control what are the systems of information sharing and knowledge production that would be useful to enable someone who needs to stay hidden stay hidden how do you develop networks of trust that enable provision to happen regardless of that how can you you know counteract alienation while still learning as best you can to maintain a level of security culture yeah i'll say this and uh, it's been an ongoing like I mean, it's part of what Red Planet is part of is uh, informational infrastructure. Well, like, I think is something that's going to massively shape that struggle specifically because it's going to involve a lot of stuff that people will need to invent answers to questions. And when when that's the when that's the thing that's going on in a struggle, um, there are questions and there are there are fresh answers to them that need to be shared. Uh, we need good informational infrastructure. That's that's like really important to that. Yeah, totally agree with that. Totally agree. Right. Uh, that's actually all the questions. So uh, is oh our God. homework this week to go sign the petition? Yeah, but also um, have a look and see if there are any legal observer trainings that are going on in your area. Legal observers fulfill really important roles. They're at demos and protests monitoring what the what the police are doing and making a note of it. Um you get a high-vis bib, it's generally like low risk. Um, and basically there's never enough of them. And if you're someone who doesn't necessarily want to be in the middle of a fray, you do want to just like know how to record what the police are doing in a way that can yeah. be useful later on in court. Look out for that too. Yeah. But yeah. That's a good homework. I've, I know a few people who've acted as legal observers and they're all really solid, solid lads. They happen to all be lads. It's not, um, it's, uh, no further comment i um, i write lads with an x so often that i no longer see it as a gender term it's quite problematic oh my god lad x this, i'm learning this is new i've never heard of this uh i'm gonna start saying it thanks when you say it though, uh, you have to say lads with an x so people know that you're spelling you're putting yes. an x instead of the a 
Oh, it's L. Oh, it's like LX. Oh, yeah. Okay, I've seen it in in the chat now. LXD. This mm-hmm. is uh, blowing <laughs> my mind. Uh, I love this. Everything about this is great. So, um, Amar, you've you've blown Mule's mind. I think you've blown everyone's mind. You've been a great guest. Um, can uh, is there anything you want to plug anywhere that you want people to find you online or anything, just anything online that you'd like people direct people to before you before you head off? I just so should have thought about this, but on the plus side, I feel less hungover than when we started. So I'm going to take that as the win. But I am on, I am on Blue Sky since you got kicked off Twitter. My friends did note that I got kicked off Twitter and immediately arrested. I would like to maintain there's not a link between those things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's at Amar Deep Singh D on Blue Sky and also Insta. I'm cute. Look me up. Um, other than that, what should I be plugging? Oh, Red Pepper is, I'm a co-editor at Red Pepper. It's an amazing, um, lefty internationalist magazine it's like quarterly our new issue is out it's all about pan-africanism but it's not all about that a significant chunk that's how like editors work anyway yeah check it out it's good fantastic thank you so much for coming on it's been a delight to have you here and i look forward to uh, us having you back oh wait one last thing oh my god yeah Yeah, because you're gonna be there sophie um i Work for an organization called The World Transformed. It's going to be four days in Liverpool, 7th to the 10th, debates, parties. There's going to be a lot of people we all disagree with, but there's going to be a lot of people who can teach you some cool shit too. So check it out. And if you're about, come say hi. Cool. And as Amar says, I will be there. I'm actually on two panels. So um, yeah, check out The World Transformed. Uh, Thank you so much, Amar. Um, I hope you have a lovely night. Thank you all so much. I'm going to go have another beer. (laughs) <laughs> thanks for coming Bye. thanks for talking solidarity <laughs> well what a, what, 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 what a lovely guest what a lovely um, lovely comrade <laughs> um well 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 we've all got our homework uh we've all had a lovely chat there's only one thing left to do and that's for you all to give us your fucking money so um <laughs> do it now <laughs> Red Doing Planet is, is, is made possible and supported by uh, you lovely people going to patreon.com slash red underscore planet and giving us your fucking money. So, um, <laughs> uh, Kira, right. uh, do you want to tell us about one of the, at random, one of the tiers that people can support us at? Uh, I will randomly, I will randomly start at the beginning. Oh, um, yeah. Disappointing. <laughs> sprite mode for as little as two bucks a month or 180 i don't know it's two bucks it's two quid it's two quid two pounds two pounds um sprite mode two bucks a month two pound and then some amount of new zealand dollars can't possibly comprehend that uh get started with your support for red planet by becoming a sprite benefits include the sacred and forbidden knowledge that you are helping the Red Planet team. Early huh? access to VODs and huh? access to the Red Planet Discord. Yeah. I think it's worth saying also that when we've mentioned limited hangouts during the episode today, uh, when limited hangouts is up for patrons, it will be available to all patrons. So that's included oh. in Spotify as well. And what Sophie yeah. is referring to uh, is the podcast that uh, we've already um, recorded a couple episodes. And it's awesome. I was on the show with uh, Sophie and Conrad, and we talked about conspiracy theories regarding the Democratic Party. Super, super fun time. Um, 
awesome episodes will be released after that too i don't want to reveal too much but uh you're gonna definitely want to have access to that podcast so for as little as two bucks a month you can but mule what if i feel a little goblin-y little you know well first of all i just want to say that i didn't know that the limited hangouts uh, we're going to be available to sprites, and I disagree with all of this, but um, since it's a democracy, I'm obviously in the minority, so I'm upset. Um, but anyway, enjoy that, you scroungers. Uh, okay, so the next the next tier, the next tier that we've got, it's uh, it's a better tier for better people, really. Uh, it's called Goblin Mode, and it's $10 a month uh, if you're in the, the, the US, and it's also... Uh, £8.50, I think, in the UK. Yes, it's £8.50 in the UK. I'm in the UK. I'll check for you. Yeah, yeah, it's £8.50. Yeah, it's yeah. not like I don't have it up on my screen or anything like that. It's nothing to do with that. It's your first day. It's not my first. It is it's my not. first day. It's, no, you're it right. It's his birthday, it is, actually. It's my birthday. <laughs> it's my birthday. So you should give Red Planet money. It's uh, everyone loves a goblin. We all get a little goblin mode from time to time. Complete ecobology by going goblin mode with everything from sprite mode. A pack of cool Red Planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only places like that. Uh, access to exclusive Red Planet Discord hangouts like the one that Kara did with Tim. Where and they were doing Star Trek. That's what they we did. We watched two Star Trek episodes, one from uh, TNG and one from DS9. And if any of uh, anyone here is new or need a reminder, I'm a big Trekkie, so that was fun for me. And Tim doesn't have any Trekkie, Trekkie experience, so that was fun for me to to Trek-splain a ton of stuff. Um, yeah, we should do another one soon. That was so we fun. Should. We should do another one. And there was a film that I was thinking about us watching on it and it'll come to me eventually but yes we should um you will enjoy it and that's why you should be a goblin give us money uh the next money giving mode is one that sophie's going to tell us about aren't you sophie i sure am yeah well, i mean why would i not uh that's because it's beast mode uh, <gasps> and beast mode does uh, uh cost 17 pounds um but you're thinking that's a lot of pounds uh i mean how many dollars is it who even 20, knows actually uh, Kira knows, uh, but wait, <laughs> but wait. There, there's more because uh, it may cost seventeen pounds or twenty dollars, but you get a lot of stuff for it. Let me tell you about that. Uh, all the stuff from the lower tiers and pin badges. Yep, pin badges. Wear your excellent new red planet pin badge literally everywhere. It is completely cool and good to do. Um, so yeah, you get a little. little well, where's my pin badge actually? I wish I had it to hand to show you all right now. But you do get pin badges, and they're really neat, and you'll like them. Uh, but there is one final tier, and I think that I think Kira needs to tell us all about the uh, the sickest possible type of Red Planet supporter there is. I do need to make a uh, I do need to make an announcement for public safety. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? There are some sickos amongst us, and I just uh, before we get to that, just just stay tuned. If you want to be one of these sickos, $100 a month. And it's pretty sus. It's pretty but- sus. Because <laughs> you said oh, Among I Us. I from the hit game Among Us. You said Among Us, didn't you? So, Yeah, forever now in the history of time, whenever I say that in just natural speech, people <laughs> go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what you said. 
I'll have you know Among Us existed before the game. Anyways, what? let's start this over. For what 100 bucks a month, you can be a sicko. Or for how many pounds? 85 pounds? 80? 85 yes. pounds. 85 pounds. Right, cool. 85 quid. Uh, if you support us this much, we can only re- really reasonably offer you all of the stuff from the lower tiers. Plus... A very special thank you message at the end of every stream. So we need to bring your attention to three sickos that are among us. JBP, Narlon Starfire, and Queen Pib. Thank you so much. Thank you, sickos. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just laughing at Kira. I'm laughing (laughs) with you, sickos. Um, Yes, I'm laughing with you because if I was a sicko, I'd be laughing... I don't know why. I'd be saying, I'd be saying ha ha ha. You're deranged. Yes. Ha, 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 I mean, I am. Um, I am. I am deranged. That's true. That's true. Not uh, sure about the sickos. People... I'm pretty sure that they're, you know. I think that they're, yeah, no. They're pretty cool never, and we I, love them. We would never say weird realized, things about our sickos. No. I've realized that I did actually lie to the chat, which is kind of fucked up. So I'm going to, I'm going to address that immediately. I'm going to undo my lie by now telling the truth. There is not only one way to support Red Planet. There are two ways to Whoa. support Red Planet. You can go to the Patreon, but also you can buy our merch because we now oh. have merch uh, modeled by me right there. Look, that's me uh, wearing the t-shirt. But you can also get a tote bag. Uh, we only have the one design right now, but we're working on some more fun ones. Uh, the, the one we have at the moment is the Queer Existence is Resistance shirt. Um, if you are a podcast listener and you you aren't seeing it right now, uh, and you're too lazy to go check it, check it out at the link. Uh, it's got the words "Core Existence is Resistance" around a um, uh, a flagging hanky tucked into a popper's bottle, being lit to make a tiny little Molotov cocktail. And I think it's neat, but I would think that because I designed it. Um, and um, you can't you can't ever look as beautiful as Sophie, but you can come close if you get this shirt. <laughs> You can get there almost, just almost. You will be within reach of greatness, but you mean it? Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard to get to that level. You can't get to that level. It's impossible, actually. But you can get kind of near there a bit. It's like how you have to be close, become closer to God, but you'll always be a sinner. That's exactly what it's like. That's exactly what it's like. But it's a goddess, and she's right here on this show. Uh, I think we should all do, I think we should, all the hosts should, when we get our merch, we should do um, some like proper photo shoot modeling and we'll have all of us on this screen and not just me. That would be cool. Um, Anyway, there is merch. Check it out. That's cool. Sorry. Was that Um, weird? Sorry. (laughs) I think this past, past like five (laughs) something minutes has been solid, weird, and I'm pretty sure probably all good. Not my, on the my, internet again. My 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 <laughs> like my stomach hurts from laughing uh, for the last few minutes. It's been it's been a hell of a time. So I'm just gonna ask where we can find Kira. Oh, uh, you can find me. And my you can find all my links at the link my link tree. It's linktra.ee slash Kira chats. That's my not safe for work links that I can't mention here. Those are available there. Uh, the it's the very first one. That's 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 you know moving in its own accord if you want to see a moving link go to my link tree you'll see what i mean um but i also mainly stream on twitch so it's twitch.tv slash kira chats i'll be streaming tomorrow tomorrow's my streamer friday so it'd be nice if you showed up and said happy streamer friday streamer i would love that i'm also on blue skies uh kira chats dot blue sky or bsky dot social i'm on twitter i refuse to call it 
anything else, uh, it's twitter.com slash Kira Chats. Everything's under Kira Chats. But where can I find my sweet, my sweet, adorable peanut who I have apparently been bullying behind the scenes this entire show? No, you haven't. No, you haven't. It's fine. I've I've been bull. I've been bullying Kira as well. It's been mutual. Uh, it's, it not, it's not bullying each other out. When when two people bully each other, it's just called a fight. You know, like we just had a fight. Like, um, but um, no, we didn't. But you can find me. Thanks. You can find me. You can find me at linktree.ee forward slash DJ Muel. Both of my co-hosts are laughing, and it's putting me off. Um, but it's fine because I made them laugh. Uh, and that's where you can find all of my stuff. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm on another YouTube channel that's my VOD channel. Um, you can give me money to my Patreon uh, if you want to give Red Planet Host more money. You should give us all money on our, all of our sites that we get money on. Uh, but specifically, uh, if you want to give me money, you should go to the possum tier of my patron or above because I've recently released a massive two hour long video movie review. Uh, there's a video of me doing a load of re- movie reviews. It's like 13 movies or some shit. Um, and that's that. So that's very good for me. And you should watch me on twitch.tv forward slash DJ Mule. But what about Sophie? Where can we find sweet Sophie? Patreon.com slash Sophie from Mars. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next week. Don't Bye. forget Tim. Don't Tim! forget Tim. Don't forget Tim. Tim he could be found. has a link tree. It's linktree.ee slash conquest of dread. All one word. Go nuts. Have fun there with it that. Is. Bye. There Bye. Is. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more on our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Comrade Zinnerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week. <laughs>